All right, Bizzlecast listeners, welcome to the official Bizzlecast commentary for Captain America Civil War. I am here with my good buddy Gabriel. We've done a bunch of awesome podcasts together, um, most especially uh, the Race in Hollywood podcast. And this is sort of a new situation. Uh, I'm recording in my basement, so A, we can watch on TV. I usually just watch on computer. Um, and B, since I only have one mic and it's an expensive mic, uh, the two of us are going to be sharing the mic. So you'll hear a little passing back and forth, but this is going to be awesome rewatching this together. Gabriel, introduce yourself. And did we see this at any point together? We did not. We we did a podcast on it, uh, like kind of a first response, right? The 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 uh, post mortem or whatever, right? Imme- immediate, like the opening weekend. But we did not see it together. But uh, that was a fun fun podcast, really fun. Yeah, I re-listened to that recently. Uh, that was my boy Noah Temple. We had, I think, the three of us had a good rapport. Um, I'm tr- trying to get him back on. He's a big film guy. Um, we, we both like this movie a lot, and uh, I, I think it's going to be mostly positiveness coming out of this commentary, right? Well, I loved it. That was my initial reaction, and it, I've maybe even grown to appreciate the movie more since then. But yeah, it's a great movie. Great movie. Definitely the best. Well, maybe not best blockbuster of the summer, without without doubt. Yeah, I mean, the only movie I, I could even stack up against it. Um, if you don't include children's movies, uh, uh, this whole year would be Deadpool. For a blockbuster? Yeah. Or for like, or a, like a mainstream? Yeah, like a PG-13 blockbuster. Quality-wise, I would put Kubo in the two strings up no, there. No, I said, I said no Oh, oh no, no, kids. Ch- no kids movies? Yeah, yeah. No, the kids stuff's always good. I mean, not, but now that Marvel is Disney, you never yeah, know. It's yeah, like if the, li- the lines are blurred. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, definitely. So, uh, many months ago, me and Matt Goisman did a podcast uh, where we previewed the superhero movies for this year, and um, we knew the order was going to be Batman v Superman, then Captain America Civil War, uh, and then X-Men Apocalypse was going to come out three weeks after Civil War. Um, Civil War was the only one rated well among those. Um, Maybe we'll get into it. Um, What's interesting is all three were, were essentially, you know, superheroes fighting one another. Um, and an issue maybe we'll get to in the podcast, I'm going to get you in pretty quickly here, is, you know, what effect did Batman v Superman have on this movie? Because at $1.15 billion, you know, by most uh, standards, uh, Captain America Civil War did amazingly. It's possible that there's increasing superhero burnout. Um, so table that for now. Um, we're going to get you into the countdown. We really love this movie. I agree with Gabriel that I appreciate it more over time. Um, we're going to talk about the Winter Soldier later, the previous cat movie. We'll talk about the Avengers, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, um, and uh, we're going to have a good time. Anything else you want to say to the listeners before we get started? Just ready to do this. All right. So with that, let us go into the countdown. Pause here if you need to to get your DVD, Blu-ray, or digital file queued up to zero. Once you're at zero, 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 make sure you have the subtitles on. Um, I will put the sound on around 10%, as I'm always talking about. And I hope you enjoyed this movie. I'm going to count it down in a couple seconds. All right, here we go. When I say go, you hit play. Three, two, one, go. All right, ladies and gentlemen of the Bizzlecast, welcome to the official Bizzlecast commentary Captain America Civil War. I'm here with my buddy Gabriel, co-contributor. Gabriel, we've been talking about this movie a lot. We've seen it a lot. Say hi to the Bizzlecast listeners and get us going. Hey, how's it going, Bizzlecast? 
Alright, so the movie opens in, in Russia, height of the Cold War. Very moody. That theme, the recurring theme of that will soon be Zemo's theme music is playing in the background. And here we see this iconic symbol of, uh, of the Winter Soldier. This is amazing. Now we, now we knew that, you know, from the Winter Soldier, that his brain has been messed with as well as his body. Um, this is supposed to be some backstory. I have to say, man, I would not have opened the movie here. Uh, you know, I'm not going to try and complain a lot during this movie because I love it. This is yeah, straight from the Winter Soldier, uh, but, which takes place in the present. I believe this is like 1991 or something. And they're still using this to, to wipe his brain with uh, Alexander Pierce and the Winter Soldier played by... Um, Robert Redford here. We have the Soviets who initially, I guess, made him. Um, they've teased some stuff strongly and some stuff not so much about, you know, really like what happened between like World War II, right? And here where, spoiler alert, he's about to go kill the Starks in, in the early 90s. Um, what's your impression of the connection between the Soviets and Hydra? Because I haven't been able to figure that out when it comes to Bucky. Well, it may be a relationship just how Hydra has infiltrated the uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. and the American government. Same way they, they have uh, similar factions within the Soviet Union. Um, it, and Nazi scientists also collected by both sides, the right. U.S. and the, the Soviets. So it's easy to just, you can put together that Hydra agents were assumed by both sides. I always thought that crash looked very real. I mean, they definitely crashed that car. It looked amazing. Um, so, um, uh, I guess, no, I guess my question is, is he working for the Soviets here or is he working for Hydra or is he working for both? <laughs> Hi, CC. You know, it's, it's hard to know for sure since Hydra and the Soviets could have similar agendas in this case, trying to obtain American technology yeah. from the Starks. I, I think they leave it intentionally a little mysterious about, you know, the various factions. Um, and it just makes the Winter Soldier an even cooler character. That he, you know, he's worked for the Soviets, he's worked for the Americans, he's worked for Hydra. Uh, I think eventually he's going to work for the Avengers. We'll get back to that here. The amazing uh, Marvel Studios title credits. Okay, Gabriel, I, I have a big thing for Elizabeth Olsen. I think she's such a great actress, just from her performance in Ultron. I love the twins in Ultron. Um, and it's not a coincidence that they're starting with her in sort of the main part of the movie. Just the way her, her fingers move, she's always shaking. She's always kind of nervous. She still has that kind of anxiety that Wanda had um, in, in Ultron. But they develop her character even more in this movie. Um, w with the vision, who we're going to get back to, right? Oh, definitely. And in this first scene, you can see that she's in training. They're, she's getting her metal tested. They want to get her acclimated to this, you know, being part of a team, picking up on cues of your environment, which That's she may not be point. used to because of her, you know, just where she where she's from and, and just being young. I mean, she's just the youngest member. They're training her here. I think that's what makes this scene cool is, is they're, they, they're very serious, but they're very confident. You know, if they weren't confident, they wouldn't have brought her along. And, you know, 
Cap's constantly quizzing her along with, you know, uh, Black Widow, you know. I mean, she's still in training. I, it's hard to know. I mean, Kevin Feige, who's the executive producer and the head of Marvel Studios at Disney, um, s- says that, you know, any Marvel movie, unless you're told otherwise, takes place now. So this takes place one year after Ultron in the movie, just as it does out- outside the movie. Go ahead. Here we have uh, Anthony Mackie's Falcon just being a just complete badass. Just showing just so you know how integral he is to the team, uh, using Red Wing is his his upgrades that he's from Winter Soldier and how long, how far his his armor and his his technology has developed. By the way, this is the uh, Tony Stark in Avengers, uh, right, where he jumps out the window. Yeah, it's. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's almost a little a mini Iron Man at he this is. point with the amount of capabilities that he has. This is maybe my favorite action scene in the movie, and this is such a Dark Knight thing here, right? They're flipping trucks. Everything looks super practical. Look at this. I mean, this is just like the Joker with the buses. The Russos openly love the Dark Knight movies, have talked about them as major influences. You can definitely see it in The Winter Soldier. You can see it here. Guys with guns. Um, I have a theory that the reason they, the first couple action scenes are, or at least look so practical, is to sell the huge CGI airport battle scene later. You know, um, like if there's too much CGI throughout the movie, uh, you know, people might not have a buy in as much. I don't know if you have any thoughts about that. Or just in general with this scene. I, I love how they film it. It's, you know, it, it's even more Bourne-like in some ways than the Winter Soldier action scenes. Definitely the, there's a little bit more use of the shaky cam. Like right, right here, you can see it. You can still follow it, but it's still very shaky to give a sense of just the, the kinetic motion that's going on. Boom. It's, oh, man. This is so cool. So cool. Yeah. They showed part of this in the trailer, but it looks amazing. Oh, yes. Look at this. I, I've been waiting to see her uh, fly since they teased it at the very end of Ultron. But what I love is she doesn't kill the guy. She sets up Anthony Mackie to take him out non-lethally, I think is the idea there. Um, uh, coming up, uh, oh, oh, okay. First of all, coming up is Anthony Mackie using the wings as a shield, and then there's a, a mini missile gag that he does. This is amazing. I love that Like one of her things that she contributes to the team is just like tossing them around, you know? Like, you, throwing Cap where Cap couldn't go. I love the Rumlow costume. I speculated that they were going to get rid of Crossbones pretty early in the movie just because th- there was so much else going on and so many characters. Uh, did you have a sense of, you know, th- uh, since they teased Rumlow and the Winter Soldier of what his role was going to be in this movie? Because it's, it's not very long, but it is critical. Well, they, is amazing. Sorry. They did set it up. Of course, his role is a lot limited than it will be in the comics where he's... Uh, way more integral to Cap's story, but uh, it works for this movie. Yep. <laughs> Look at this. Yeah, she's... Oh, God. Just the extent of her powers is just... You get a little taste of just what she can do. So, m- m- my biggest problem, and we talked about this on our podcast, and I did another mini-review with, with Matty G um, about his thoughts about it, is that... <laughs> This does not seem to be a failure on the part of the Avengers. I mean, I think Elizabeth Olsen, I'm sorry, um, Wanda as the Scarlet Witch saves way more people than die in the sort of the apartment building. Um, I guess, is that sort of the point that they're looking for a reason to control the Avengers or go after them because they fear them? But they, you know, I mean, let me put it this way. Other than um, Tony Stark and Bruce Banner creating Ultron, which wasn't even the rest of the team's knowledge or idea, 
I'm not sure any of these events that they get blamed for are their fault, right? The Battle of New York wasn't their fault. Um, uh, the uh, the events of Hydra and the Winter Soldier weren't their fault. You know, here again, I speculate that more people would have died in the marketplace if uh, if Wanda didn't, uh, um, y- you know, uh, do what she does. And we're going to see in a second. Um, is this making sense? Yeah, in a, in a more mac, uh, micro level, but on a grander scale, if you look, a lot of things can be blamed on the Avengers. This, the fact that Crossbones is even active and become a terrorist, and Hydra just being ex- exposed and exploded into the world scene can all be attributed to the Avengers, and maybe people blame and resent the, the, the Avengers for the escalation. And it's connected to what Vision... Uh, you know, kind of explains later in the movie that aggression and, and escalation and things can be attributed to the Avengers' power. And power invites confrontation and challenge. And yeah. so we, we missed a little bit of kick-ass action there. Sorry, I'm, people. My cat, Cece, finds the uh, worst times to, to want attention. But yeah, I, I could hear what you were saying. Um, I totally agree with you. I guess what I'm saying is I just I don't totally buy the setup of you know the Avengers being so dangerous to me because again Ultron's the only thing they did themselves. Oh, here it goes, boom. And this is a great action scene. The camera work here just. Yeah, I mean, you know, again, Frank Grillo, who plays Romlo slash Crossbones, his connection is never really clear. Um, you know, he clearly trying to set up the Avengers. And as we may have talked about in, uh, in our intro together, um, is the fact that, you know, Batman v Superman before this and X-Men Apocalypse after this also had superheroes fighting each other. But this is more similar to Batman v Superman in that the bad guy's entire purpose is to get the main good guys to fight one another. I speculate if the writers, Marcus and McFeely, knew about Batman v Superman when they started writing this, I assume like two years ago, maybe they would have gone in a different direction. But, you know, this is from the comics. This is from the Civil War comics. Okay, this is an amazing scene right here. A little cliche that... You know, two people shooting at each other. No, no one. The, the slow motion. You don't see that in Marvel movies almost ever. That was dope. Yeah. Redwick. Oh, this what, is hilarious. Why doesn't the bad guy ever just shoot first, though? A little, you know. I, I, dude, and when I, I did a tune-up for this commentary where I did like a first 30 minutes just to do a run-through. And I say, you know, in every suspense moment, in every show with guns, they're just holding guns at one another. It's like, why doesn't one side just shoot? The other side's not going to have time to do anything about it, right? What would Han do? You gotta, you gotta ask yourself. Or uh, remember that good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah, nice. good, bad, and the ugly. Oh yeah, definitely. You know, don't talk, shoot. One of the best lines in cinematic history. Less talking, more shooting. It's the American way. Um, I love what they did with his face here. I think this is part CGI, part makeup, just the same way that old Pe- Peggy Carter in the Winter Soldier, in, uh, the Winter Soldier movie. Uh, the old, you know, very old version of Peggy Carter. They talk about how it was, it looked so real. It was actually a lot of CGI with the makeup. He says, he remembered you, 
right? I was there. He got all weepy about it. I think he's talking about Bucky, right? Oh yeah, they put his brain in a blender. You can see, you can see Cap's face. You see his emotion. Yeah, I love the scene in the in the Winter Soldier. Oh, here we go. I'll get back to the Winter Soldier. All right, so Wanda, the most powerful Avenger, steps in, intervenes, does her best to contain the blast, save Cap, save those around her. They just don't sell the tragedy enough to me. I mean, it's tragic those people died, but that entire marketplace would have been gone, you know? I mean, if, if she was trying to, you know, protect three people and ended up killing 100... I just don't think they sell it. They sell it enough, but but they do it through performance. I mean, look how horrified she is. This traumatizes her, you know, going into the future. I love the scene coming up uh, where she's watching it on TV, and uh, and Cap just sort of comes in and is, he's kind of consoling her as as both leader and and kind of friend and older brother, father figure, whatever. Um, there's some great character stuff early in this movie, and like the Winter Soldier, they seem to fit in. So much drama and so much action at the same time, right? I mean, what is it about the Russo brothers? <laughs> we watch this hilarious younger Robert Downey Jr. I mean, it's funny because it looks kind of fake on his face, but it also is just funny to see his performance. How do you feel about this scene this, as, as a means of exposition? You know, Tony's technology, it's a little, a little far-fetched that he would develop, oh. you know, this an entirely new uh, technology with the acronym BARF just so... Almost act as a mechanism for exposition, a little backstory for him. Do you think that did that work for you? Yeah, I didn't think you were going there with that question. Uh, I, I, I thought you were going to ask dramatically. Is this a little on the nose? This okay. this this whole scene, you know, and the way they sort of write Pepper Potts out of the movie conveniently. Um, as I expressed, I think in our our. Um, uh, Civil War wrap-up, as much as I love that actress that he meets in the elevator in a couple minutes, whose son died in Sokovia, whose name is... What's that actress's name? I always forget her name. Middle-aged black lady. Awesome character actress. Um, best known to me for being in Star Trek First Contact as sort of the semi-love interest for Captain Picard. Um, it, it's all a little on the nose, you know, about Tony's guilt. Alfre Woodard. Alfre Woodard. Alfred Woodard. Um, this was a cool reveal here. And, you know, I, I guess they had to sell Tony's guilt, even though I, if you saw Ultron, you, you would already kind of assume that he's in this place. And this is sort of Avengers 2.5. I mean, I've, I watched really closely. I think Robert Downey Jr., at least in the first half, is on screen way more than, uh, than Steve Rogers, you know, than, uh, than Chris Evans. Um, did you feel like this was more an Avengers movie, uh, more of a cat movie, or, or some sort of hybrid between the two? And that was the biggest challenge I think the, the Russos had to, had to contend with, just to balance so many different characters, uh, so many different plot elements, and then still make it a cat movie. This is Cap 3. I think they succeeded. I think they succeeded in just the way they focused on uh, Cap's arc throughout the movie, even though... He may not have as much screen time as you would associate with, like, you know, a title character. Where his character goes, and almost every character has had just has those moments where they they contribute something. And but yeah, I think it's still a, it's still a unique Cap story. So one thing I talk about is you know Robert Downey Jr. obviously is great at both comedy and drama. We've seen that countless times throughout the years. Certainly. Uh, in the Iron Man and Avengers movie. But I talk about, I don't know if you agree with this, this is the first movie where 
Tony Stark, or I should say Robert Downey Jr.'s default mode is drama, then he brings in comedy, you know, when it's called for. Usually his default mode is comedy, even in the Avengers, you know, uh, you know, like, where they're talking about murder bots and he starts laughing, you know, is this so bad? Really? Is this so bad? You know, I mean, he, he's always trying to make light of situation, which constantly pisses um, uh, Cap off, and in fact, this is the first time that Tony tries to get Cap on board with his, you know, ideology or whatever, in this case it's the Sokovia Accords, this is the first time he he tries to do it, you know, in a self-effacing way that's not being sarcastic. Um, and so when we see the Spider-Man scene later, you know, he's hysterical, you know, RDJ that we know and love. But, I mean, look at his, just look at his look in his eyes right now, his face. I mean, he's just acting the shit out of this role. And it reflects a lot of growth in, in Tony Stark's character. I yeah. mean, you would, he's older, you know, this is almost eight years since the Iron Man character was, was introduced you know, that him being a playboy. I think it's exactly eight years. Yeah, it's, yeah. Been, it's been eight years. You know, the first movie, he's, he's a womanizer, a playboy. And in these movies, you know, he wants to start a family with, with Pepper. He, he considers uh, retiring from, from being a superhero. And maybe he's just at a point where he is maturing and he's just not sober, maybe alcohol-wise, but just being sober and on just what he's been through in his life. 1736, 1737. So here's Alfred Woodward, you know, acting the shit out of a, a very cliched subplot. Um, you know, again, you know, to keep going back to the well of... Actually, this, this bothered me more uh, once I found, more, uh, found out more about Daniel Brühl's character, Zemo, that he's also from Sokovia. I mean, they, you know, and then Elizabeth Olsen from Sokovia. They keep leaning back on it. I thought they kind of wrapped it up at the end of Ultron. They should have. They could have showed the guilt of it and moved on. Um, I don't know. To me, to me, the the the, uh, the writers Marcus and McFeely leaned too much on Ultron, especially because Ultron made so much money that statistically, most people seeing this movie probably saw Ultron. Right? It's not about the money. It's, <laughs> you know it's what I'm saying though. Ticket sales, people well, watching. Yeah. I mean, I didn't mind it as much just because it was a major world event and. It, it's almost parallels a lot of things with American foreign policy and, and blowback, and you you have to deal with the repercussions of of your policy choices. And, and just just to repeat, Alfred Woodward is killing it here. It's, it's sheer exposition, and she has to use you know every tool of acting that she that, that she has to deliver a somewhat predictable. Um, you know, uh, set of uh, ideas that Tony Stark has been thinking about, but this is, I guess, the straw that broke the, that breaks the camel's back with Tony, right? This this interaction with her. Oh yeah, definitely. And you can also get a a little glimpse into Tony Stark's paranoia, where he thinks this this uh, middle aged black lady in the in a in a hallway behind the an MIT might be pulling out a gun to attack him, and this is you know he's constantly must be on edge, paranoid. Yeah. You know, another factor just yeah. weighing him down. Yeah, and I, I like this as a small point, but you know, I like to be open about this, and it's part of why we're friends. It never felt like he was scared because she's black, it, <laughs> you know. Like, like it, she, he, he was just scared of everyone at this point, you know. Like, it, it had to do. But in all seriousness, it was because of the intensity on her face and how angry she looked. Like, she looked like she could have pulled a gun on him. And you know what? Who could have blamed her if she did? After you know, after what he fucking did to her son and, and Sokovia. This scene, I love. Uh, you know, these kinds of movies, it moves so fast. You need to have these kind of you know family like sitcom drama scenes a little bit you know um he i mean you know cap 
along with I would say Hawkeye, you know, turn the twins in Ultron. Um, I uh, one of my predictions for this movie that would be that we would see uh, Hawkeye being a f- a, or continue to be a sort of a father figure to her, like he was in uh, parts of Ultron. Ultimately, Renner's not in that much of the movie, but they do sell the relationship great. But this is it. I mean, this is this is really Cap's only heart to heart with his teammates. I think that we see other than maybe Natasha, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> this is you know Vision awkwardly entering, but that little monologue or dialogue here really captures the spirit of Captain America and what he represents. That almost. American exceptionalism in a way and that he he wants to do the best in trying to police the world but knows that it's complicated and accidents are going to happen and things don't always happen the way you plan but you know from Cap's perspective we know that he's purely good and he only wants the best so it is you know he, he isn't corrupted by geo, geopolitics or oil, wanting oil or resources and in that way like he does represent that, that those pure American values, and that's just what he expressed there. Yeah, my problem with William Hurt's character—he um, always seems like he sleepwalks when he acts a little bit. I, he's not my favorite actor. He's fine in this. Um, you know, one thing I was thinking about, man, I don't know if you agree, is that part of the problem with this character is that he's not really a good guy and he's not really a bad guy. He's just kind of there. Also responsible for the creation of, of the Abomination, who who destroyed Harlem in the first Hulk movie. Yeah, and, he, <laughs> and then he blames them for not knowing where Hulk is, you know? Yeah, it's like, like, dude, are you fucking kidding me? Actually, that, that argument to me is more salient than the, look at all these disasters you've supposedly caused, is where's Hulk? Where's Thor? Yeah, yo, it, wasn't Hulk banging your daughter? <laughs> God, I haven't seen that movie in so long. I think I blocked that out of my memory just because Ruffalo is, is the Hulk for me now. Okay, so here it is. So here are the four major tragedies that he blames on them, right? They choose the Hulk imagery because, you know, my guess is Hulk accidentally kills hundreds of people in the Battle of New York while saving hundreds of thousands of people. Again, that's not their fault. That was S.H.I.E.L.D., you know, messing with the, with the Tesseract. Here's watching DC. This was the government. You know, the Avengers are specifically there to fight things like that. Cap had to take it down. You know, they're all looking sad about what happened at the end of the Captain America, the Winter Soldier. You know, but it, it, I mean, the, the, the bad guys were the government. And now here we see Sokovia. This is the one that's emotionally... Um, well, I guess I guess for uh, for Wanda, yeah, the it's her home. right, it's her home, and then we see Lagos, which she blames herself for right afterwards. So she's getting piled on, you know, in a way emotionally, right? And she can't take it anymore. You see Cap's eyes locked on her, just feeling everything that she's going through. Just because Cap doesn't think she's responsible for any of this, but she's not. Um, I have to say, man, I'm sure you know that people were very skeptical about Chris Evans' casting initially as Captain America. I can't imagine anyone else. He's my favorite of the big three just because I like his movies the most, you know, um, between Thor, Cap, and Iron Man. But he can do little things with his face that suggest that he is, you know, an excellent actor. I never don't buy his performance. I I can't think of a single cheesy moment in three Cap movies and two Avengers movies with, with Chris Evans. And I think he had the most difficult role that uh, really just evoked so much hope. And, and it's, it's almost really that, that Superman archetype that DC really can't get right. That's so, such a delicate balance that Chris Evans with the Captain America character is able to do. Just like every, somebody that most people enjoy. And a character that m- many people didn't really have an appreciation for. 
in terms of like the, the fandom, I see more Captain America t-shirts oh, now yeah. than almost than even even like a Superman t-shirt. Yeah. But Batman. boys and girls, people of all colors and ages. Mm-hmm. I- so even though I don't love the William Hurt scene. You know, the, the the discussion scenes that are about to come up where, you know, the Avengers are talking to each other um, are great. And, uh, you know, if nothing else, while I, I didn't agree with all of the, the sort of action choices of the Russos with the team stuff in this movie, we'll get there. In terms of the dynamics of the team feels totally like an Avengers movie. And I mean that in the best way possible. They're very relaxed. They're always in character, you know. Um, the only one who's seemingly out of character is Black Widow, but of course she's playing both sides, as usual, as we find out later, which is a great twist that, you know, Widow agrees to it sort of conditionally so that she can keep an eye on, on Team Tony. And then when it comes down to when the cards are down, uh, you know, she, she jumps back to Team Cap. Daniel Bruhl is amazing in this movie, which, which is hard to believe because the role is so one-dimensional and makes zero sense. I mean, it, it really makes even less sense than Jesse Eisenberg in Batman v Superman. This is obviously a much better performance, and Daniel Bruhl's a better actor, uh, although I generally like Jesse Eisenberg, but, right, I mean, even though the background's different, in terms of structuring the plot and narrative... This is what Jesse Eisenberg tries to do um, to a different degree in Batman v Superman. Not sure if you agree with that. There's a certain level of like omniscience that each character has. You wonder, like, oh, how do they know this? How are they able to pull off this elaborate plan and calculate the actions of multiple actors that are somewhat unpredictable? But again, in this movie, he's more—he's just creating an environment. It's just, it works out more organically. The motivations that each character ends up having to for the conflict and doesn't just boil down to I kidnapped your mother, which totally just renders everything that happens in that movie kind of uh, irrelevant. I'm not crazy that Zemo is from Sokovia, but I love that he's not with Hydra and, in fact, hates Hydra. Um, I believe he is with Hydra in the comic books, right? Zemo? Isn't Zemo a Hydra guy in the comic books? I, I can't remember. Um, but they work it in. I mean, you got the logo and he mentions Hydra, and that's basically it. In the comics, Zemo ran his own... Does his own thing? Yeah, he, he had his own superhero team that were really villains behind the scenes. Um, and they pretended to be heroes. And he was the leader of a group. I forget the name of that, uh, of that team. But this takes place in, in what, Ohio? Cleveland, yeah. So in Cleveland, kind of a little nod to... And by the way, I love the big uh, city... T- uh, uh, you know, oh, title, title cards, cards. Of, of the locations, yeah. yeah. But, you know, just a little, maybe touching on the fears of middle America that, you know, hiding in their town anywhere could be all of these terrorists, Soviets. Basically saying, I, I, I have no problem with killing you because I hate Hydra. Because, let's be honest, Hydra was equally responsible for what happened in Sokovia. I mean, Ultron was a result of what Hydra was doing in Sokovia. Um, both in terms of the Scarlet Witch, you know, screwing with Tony's head, but she wouldn't have had her powers unless they gave it to her and they were operating out of Sokovia. Um, this is hilarious. His mouth is so clearly above the lip of the sink. You know, I mean, look at it. I mean, it's like there's no way he would he would start drowning here. The water's already dripping over the side and his mouth is still there so he could be talking. I'm sorry, little things like that I, I, I just noticed. Right, and now, now he's choking. Such a uh, uh, cut and paste uh, torture scene, right? Maybe. Uh, <laughs> I love 
I'm sorry. I reference this all the time. He's in so much pain. He can't even look. Tony slouched in the chair. He, I mean, he, you know, he supports this, but he, he hates that they're going to be fighting over this whole thing. Okay. This is important, actually. And, and this is what the movie, this movie does way better than um, uh, Batman v Superman. Actually, in BVS, they don't really try, which is Vision is describing the phenomenon that is supposed to make what happens in these kind of movies uh, more uh, intricate and complex. He's saying, you know, you have heroes and you have villains, and then you have superheroes, and so you get supervillains, right? Each side steps up its game. It's like hackers. Like, you know, every time a new firewall is developed or antivirus software is developed, you know, the, the hackers get smarter and smarter. Um, I, I talk about this a lot with, with Taoism, you know, that n- notion of mutually entailing binaries. As soon as you have one, you have the other. That's sort of what he's getting to on a more practical level. You know, one of my favorite sayings in Taoism is, you know, with every uh, new law, you create a new bandit. You know what I mean? And so the more laws you create, the more bandits. More bad guys you're creating. Um, I would be interested, A, if you found that argument compelling, and B, do you agree or disagree? I mean, I agree, and there's that theme runs in a, a lot of superhero movies. You could say The Dark Knight touches on that theme quite a bit, just the appearance of the Joker in response to Batman and that, that duality that the Batman and the Joker share in that movie. Yep. Um, that push and pull that oh, yeah. and the Joker I, clearly acknowledges that I'm only here because of you and yeah. we, we can't exist without each other. Bizzlecast listeners, if you heard my Dark Knight commentary with my buddy uh, Aaron, a.k.a. Aaron, I bring up that exact point that I just said about Taoism about that exact scene and interchange that you say. I think the Dark Knight actually does it better than this movie. I mean, because it's so personal and one-on-one between the Joker and, uh, and Batman there. Um, th- this is a little bit more, um, you know, abstract, uh, you know, uh, as opposed to, you know, having a big good guy and a big bad guy in, in, in Gotham. This is worldwide. Some, you know, we don't know who's a good guy, who's a bad guy. Um, so, but pushing it forward, right, Tony's telling the, the sob story here about the kid, um, uh, Alfie Woodward's kid who died in, in Sokovia. So my question to you, man, as we move into sort of the next act of the movie is, do you buy like how they break up the team and, and who goes where in general? Definitely. And it's it sold with those little details in the character, like their reactions to what's going on. You can see what, what Tony is going through. You can see what Steve is going through. And they're about to go further into... Uh, just, just the, they're they're racked. The, just the emotions and the turmoil they're they're in. Yeah, some great Cheetle here, by the way. Yeah. Love Cheetle. Right, and uh, I, you know my main prediction that I made about this movie long, you know, long before that wasn't like this character does this or whatever, blah blah blah, was that Steve is seen as an idealist through pretty much all of the movies until now. My prediction was that here he was going to go full practical and Tony was going to be the idealist and that was going to be the split and that's indeed what happens. On paper you know, you would think that a guy like Steve Rogers would support something like the Sokovia Accords, right? He's all about, you know, no one group having unlimited power including them, but he's saying, you know, I get what you're saying, Tony, but you know, we've seen the threats out there, you know, we need to have our hands free, which is, you know, the opposite. I mean, he's, he, not only is he not acting like Captain America, he's acting like, you know, Captain, uh, you know, Rebel, or so, you know what I'm saying? Like, he's, he's like an outlaw, and then he gets treated like an outlaw. Based on what happened in the Winter Soldier, you can see that Cap, he's already, that defiant streak is already within him, you know, to be independent and not trust the government. Oh, yeah. You know, and not not trust oversight because he's just been through yeah. Shield 
finding out Shield is really Hydra and have being having to go through missions that he didn't agree with, you know, espionage stuff that he also doesn't agree with. So at least he knows being independent and having the Avengers being under his control really that that's a, probably the only way he feels comfortable that he won't be manipulated or just be a pawn in a larger larger conflict. So I don't know if you if you remember in Ultron when they when when uh, Ultron's created and you know gets away with the scepter again and they're and all the files have been erased and Jarvis is dead and they're all sitting around going Tony what the fuck did you do like why did you do this and you know Tony's not treating it seriously enough and and, and Cap says something like um, oh this is great I love Emily Man Cap Cap says something like that's just, like Tony this is what was supposed to make us different than Shield you know what was trusting one another and and being transparent with each other if you know uh, and, and you know not doing things uh, um, uh, unconditionally and uh, you know what I'm saying? Like the creation of Ultron would be exactly the kind of thing that S.H.I.E.L.D. or HYDRA would try to do um, and so, you know, but apparently that wasn't enough to, to, to set Cap on a, a path to, to wanting to control the Avengers. And this scene is also pivotal and just a connection back to the Winter Soldier that that scene with Peggy, Peggy Carter in the beginning of the movie with her with her aged, aging makeup or with CG, and that oh, just just heartbreaking to see Cap's connection with her and see her drift into you know dementia and just really just set up Cap's character like what his his trying to adjust into the Look, the modern day. She's looking right at him. She's yeah. giving this. This is basically her. This is Peggy yes, talking yes, to him, yes. talking to him through. You know this this woman that he also has feelings for, uh, who you know who is his age, his neighbor that he kind of had a crush on, and it really just you know makes Cap and Trench. He digs in and he's he's ready to not only fight for you know what he wants, but what he he feels like his generation, what what Peggy would want, you know. Yeah, I was gonna say the same exact thing. You said it better than I could have. Right. So Emily Van Camp as Emily Van Camp as Sharon Carter was transmitting Peggy's message about you know standing like a tree and not letting other people move, which again is a is a very. I mean, the thing is, it is really American, though. It's like old-school American frontier, you know what I mean? It's not like America Big Brother today, but Captain America is acting like, you know, I'm, I mean, he, he's sort of Captain America of, of, like, the founding father's idea of America, right? With, with black people equal members of the right, team. Right, right, America's original sin. Uh, who coined that phrase, by the way? America, they talk about America's, that being America's original sin. Um, but yeah, but, but you know what I'm saying. I mean, the... the, the Probably somewhere religious. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is an excellent exchange. Um, Black Widow has way less to do here than in the last few movies, but she's, you know, really pivotal from both, both a plot and character standpoint. I love that they just hug. You don't see that that much, you know? Um, and uh, they, they continue to have a close relationship that's non-romantic, and she's laying the seeds that she doesn't completely, you know, agree with, with the choice that she's making. And here we go. My guy, Chadwick Boseman. Oh, my God. Black Panther 2017. Oh, man. February can't come soon enough. Go ahead. Or no, I'm sorry. 2018. That's like a freaking year and a half from now. But this is a great introduction to the character. Um, were you the one who was a little uh, um, lukewarm on on? The first time you saw uh, this uh, on, on the portrayal of Black Panther was that Noah? No, I was I was with it. That was Noah. Yeah, yeah, I was I was totally on board we with the performance. Him at the end. Yeah, we can. He'd only seen it once, so yeah. 
Right. The, I support the Accords, but not the politics. Mm-hmm. This is exactly like T'Challa from the comic books. You know, I mean, he, the thing is, he he acts like Cap in this movie um, in terms of how he goes um, renegade to to go against uh, go, go against Zemo. Um, there's his dad, who you can see dying a, mi- a mile away, but man, do they sell it with performance. And they kind of set up here just with this this moment between T'Challa and T'Chaka that. Those bonds of family, it mirrors Cap and Bucky in that way. He kisses his dad. The ring. The ring's really important. Um... His identity. I think Noah's only uh, complaint actually had nothing to do with Bozeman. Noah's complaint about the portrayal in the movie was that you know he never really acts like a king, but you know there was not really time for that, and we're going to see that entire Black Panther movie and the entire Black Panther franchise, which I'm convinced is going to go on for a long time. Um, And we see it here: the inheritance from his dad. He just gets obsessed with you know taking down who he thinks kills his dad in a second here. Um, I loved it. I I mean. you know, I didn't really start reading Black Panther comics until I heard the casting of Bozeman and that it was happening. Oh man, cut the blow. Um, right. How does he live and his dad dies? Um, you know, there's the there's that Wakandan herb that every Black Panther ingests, which gives you almost a super serum like abilities. I forgot. You know, that. heightened strength, heightened endurance. Yeah. And I don't know, maybe uh, maybe the old man it wore off a little bit. He hadn't had a dose in a while. Yeah, I mean, certainly in the newer Black Panther comics, they don't stress that a, a, a lot, the same way they do with Cap, you know, throughout throughout the years. Um, just to respond to something earlier, this is great acting work there from Bozeman. Um, yeah, I mean, I grew up reading Marvel and watching Marvel on TV, but Cap was never someone I was interested in. It's completely about Evans and the directors and how he's been portrayed. Um, I personally, fans are split about this, again... I, we talked about this earlier while we were eating Wawa hoagies about this little sexism, I think, in the nerd world uh, tends to skew male. Uh, female characters tend to be judged more harshly than male characters. Um, partially, that's because they're usually just love interests in Marvel. I mean, outside of Black Widow, it's, you know, Natalie Portman, love interest. Sharon Carter, love interest. Go ahead. Great moment for that. No, you mean I was doing my job. Remember that. Like, those feelings, you know, I was being nice, but that was part of the part of the assignment. Don't get it twisted, you know. Kind of putting Cap back in his place. Yeah, and Cap, you know, pretends to kind of want to act, you know, like, uh, not upset, you know, but he did get the wolf hold over his eyes, but there's really a look of respect in, in his eyes, actually, about the, that she could pull that off, even though he's not into, you know, tricking people and keeping secrets. You know, it was her job, and he respects people who do their job. Um, it, it, the, they so smoothly get uh, Emily Van Camp, who's now with the CIA, uh, Sharon Carter, they get her so smoothly in the picture, I thought. You know, it made total sense. You know, they're in London for the funeral. She's with them. She's she's based in Germany, which is where they're he- headed, or Austria, right, ultimately, because they needed to keep her involved. Even though her role was small, it was very, very critical. And just really quick before I pass it back to you, man, I think she does great in this movie. I totally love uh, love stories that aren't rubbed in your face and may only take a few scenes, but it's sold through performance, and I totally bought it in this one. I know not everyone did. She's not just there. As you can see, you know, they're watching the footage. She's making calls in the background. She's coordinating the whole effort, the, the, the whole investigation. So her character isn't just there to, you know, support Cap or 
but she's there pretty much just doing her job and it's you know she decides to support cap you know and because she wants to you know just on, on because of their relationship but that's just not the only reason why she's there This is a really interesting exchange. I love that these two are, uh, have a relationship, just like forming of some sort. It's great that he knows who she is. I guess everyone knows who she is now after the the, the uh, Edward Snowden-esque uh, data dump at the end of uh, The Winter Soldier. But he gives this whole speech about his dad believed in this beautiful vision of the afterlife, you know, that I guess is part of the spiritual tradition of his people in Wakanda. And even though he's the king, he basically says to her, and this might just be out of anger of what's going on right now with his dad. He basically says, like, I don't believe in that shit. You know, I believe in revenge. And it's not until the very, very end that he steps back from that. So it'll be interesting to see where he is at kind of emotionally, but also spiritually when Black Panther starts. This is Black Widow being the voice of reason, yeah. you know, which one of her roles in this movie just be the most calculated, the most tactical, kind of just a hint into her, even her character, how she's been able to survive, not being as overpowered as so many characters, but just being able to use her wits to really get out of any situation. I think we missed earlier um, where she talks about having one foot uh Right on both sides, essentially. Yeah. Keep, uh, yeah. Just keep in front, keep ahead of it, and yeah, keep ahead of it. Yeah. So, do you think that she was ultimately always going to not necessarily turn on Team Tony, but like that it, when the chips were down, if it came down to Cap or Tony, do you think she was always planning on on you know being there for Cap? It's, it's kind of hard to know in hindsight because we we ultimately do see how it turns out, but. Yeah, based on the Winter Soldier, what they the the bonding that they did, which you know there is no parallel to that in any of the Iron Man movies where she was introduced, she was almost you know reduced to eye candy, and really it was her relationship with Cap that that made her a well-rounded character. So it, yeah, it's only right that she wouldn't you know turn her back on Cap when when they needed uh, her the most. Yeah, I remember when they announced the teams or whatever, you know, last year. That was the one that stuck out for me, and I was kind of upset about. Uh, but, you know, once you see the movie, it does make total sense. You needed to have one character at least playing th their own side, and it wasn't going to be someone on Team Cap. She's the perfect one to do it. The, the fact that, you know... And, and, you know, remember, like, I, I think in her last scene where Tony says, they're going to be coming for you because, you know, yeah. you, you stopped us and you, you disobeyed it. Like, right. Probably, probably pissed. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but, um, and, and then she has to, like, go on the run again or whatever, I suppose. I, I love that we get to see, like, regular Bucky again briefly, Sebastian Stan just buying fruit, speaking a million languages. Um, but... I, you know the fact that Tony thought ever thought that Natasha would be one hundred percent devoted to you know a government sponsored uh, cause after what they've been through. Um, you know, I mean, he's. I mean, he, the fact that Tony thinks he can convince Cap to sign, although he almost does. Do you remember that Cap's about to sign, and then he says something about like we're putting the Scarlet you know witch under uh, house arrest, and then Cap blows up at Tony and says, "Fuck you." I don't think, you know. Tony's really thinking straight. He's not himself, and he really wants to keep the team, you know, the semblance of his family together at all costs. So even at that, you know, if if Natasha Black Widow just expresses that, oh yeah, you know, I'll, I'll be part of your team. I'm with you. Yeah. 
you know, immediately perks up like, oh, well, you agree with me for once. And I think he needs that. He needs that that uh, the f- uh, fulfillment, reassurance in that way. And I'm, I'm sure Black Widow is is savvy and adept enough at, at reading people's emotions. If she was the first one to notice, hey, Tony, you're not your characteristic. You know, you're, you're hyperverbal right now. Like right. she's on top of it. And ultimately, she may be playing playing him. This is this is a great scene. The bromance, bromance rekindles. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we're gonna talk about the bromance for sure. Um, but just like the um, like Cap, the audience, you look into those eyes of Sebastian Stan. You don't know which way he is, which way he's going. You know what I mean? He's like, does he said he claims he recognizes Steve from the newspapers or something, right? And that like, he doesn't like personally recognize. Been Steve's like, you know me, you know me, right? I don't do that anymore. And you, I, I, I mean, I knew ahead of time that Bucky was being framed. I mean, they pretty much revealed that if you would read between the lines of anything that was coming out in terms of trailers and what was being talked about, that, you know, that he was trying not to be the Winter Soldier. And the only time he becomes the Winter Soldier again is when they brainwash him <laughs> briefly. Daniel Brühl uh, brainwashes him. But just through performance, even if I knew nothing, when he says, I don't do that anymore, I personally bought that, you know, that he was just trying to protect himself. I mean, he's scared. You know, he already looks regretful about what he's going to have to do, which is kick these guys asses he, you know he says this would they say oh i love that use the shield to stop the grenade um oh let's talk let's n- talk about the shield real quick because there's a lot of shield stuff here uh wh- where would you place um civil war in terms of captain america shield shield throwing just the impact is a little bit less than just because in winter soldier you really saw it for the first time it was kind of mind-blowing what they how the shield was used so a little less of an impact in this one you know, there's not much higher you could go. But the hand-to-hand uh, choreography equal equal to Winter Soldier. What's brilliant about this scene is the fact that they are fighting together so well, even though they haven't really been fighting together for a really long time, just shows that Bucky must remember at some level Cap. You know, he knows what Cap's yeah. going to do, you know, and how to work together to get out of the situation. He, he says to Cap, I'm not going to kill anyone. I mean, Bucky is probably breaking a few people's necks here. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he, he made, I mean, look at that. Like the ramrod. That, that guy's whole chest could be collapsed. And they established that, you know, the strength in Bucky's metallic arm. Like, he probably can't even help the fact, the, the, the amount of damage that he's doing. He's a, kill, he's a killer, you know? Um, so, and, and you can see Cap's, the duality in Cap where he's, you know, he's, he's watching it and constantly like, Bucky, you got you to gotta chill out. You're putting me in a bad spot, bro. Come on, man. 4707, 4710, 4711. Yeah, this is this is one of the cooler fights. I love the street level stuff early on. Um, to me, it's, it's even more shaky cam than uh, the Winter Soldier. A little bit, but this this scene just screamed to me almost like some some Jackie Chan fights, mm. where a lot of older movies there's some kind of MacGuffin or object that Jackie is trying to protect during a fight scene, and this scene you know Captain's trying to save save the guys. From Bucky, from from just killing him, and here's here's Black Panther in action, out of nowhere. So Black Panther is indeed mostly CGI in the movie. Now here they it's definitely a guy in a costume fighting, um, 
But I read, and we'll get back to this, that like 97% of the airport battle, including the people without uh, masks on, were CGI. And that was almost completely done um, in computers with studio, which is fine. Again, selling the practical fighting early. Here comes Sam. All right, Southwest rooftop. <laughs> and, you know, Sam's always there for him. Uh, I remember seeing this for the first time, and then seeing the helicopter being like, is this going to be the helicopter shot from the, the trailer or whatever? Um, man, I love this. Yeah, he... He's just like, what, you're trying to shoot me? Yeah. What? That's totally a Blade, a blade moment right there. Uh, but f- I think Black Panther almost looks completely CG when he's in a costume. Like, I... Oh, yeah, yeah. Anything... Anything that's... Like, this is all CG. Yeah, it, it, clearly. Um, and that's all CG. But when him and Bucky back there were actually fighting hand-to-hand, that was, that was a guy in the suit there. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, what... This movie, it's actually filmed quite differently than Winter Soldier, which was very mid-range. You know, you could always see what was happening. There weren't a ton of edits. This is either super kinetic, like hyper close, like this, um, or it's pulled way back. And you know, when it's pulled way back, it's easier to do the CGI, right? So this is probably all CGI Panther running through it. But I think it's also just because the suit is so basic looking. Like that was CGI Cap. Like to me, like I, I don't think CGI Panther looks any a- any worse or noticeable than the other CGI characters. I think just the concept costume lends itself to CGI so easily, and that's, I think we're going to see a, mo- a little bit more complex design uh, with Ryan Coogler directing the Black Panther movie, because I guarantee you Coogler is not going to be doing CGI fights the entire film, uh, if he has his way, I have to think. And this is uh, the Audi commercial mm-hmm. going on there, as you can see, five Audis in a row. More Audis for your uh, viewing enjoyment. That's crazy how many Audis there were. I guess I was so focused. Oh my god. Well, well, I guess this is what the cops drive, right? Like, it's like, uh, you know, they have Mercedes in some countries. And wait, so this is where I get confused. So here we're in Budapest, right? This is supposed to be Budapest. And then I think there's Austria and Germany, or maybe just Austria. It's all, it was all filmed in the same place uh, Atlanta, Georgia. These scenes, I'm not sure where this where this was. Have you been to Atlanta? I've been. Did you recognize anything in this movie as being from Atlanta? I went to Atlanta once, okay. five years ago, and took public transportation for the most part. I mean, I'm always saying I do not care if stuff is CG, and I don't even care if I can tell as long as it looks cool and looks great. And this looks really amazing. I mean. Oh my god. Boom. Blows it up. Wasn't sure what that move was about. He still manages to get Bucky after all that. The motorcycle. Yeah, I love how, you know, you can't run Black Pan- outrun Black Panther even on a motorcycle. There's flipping some Audis. Russo's definitely know how to flip cars. Um, so while this action scene is playing out in the aftermath, man, I want to ask you, what is it about Marvel that they get these, you know, somewhat small-time directors... Um, like the Russos or James Gunn, not small time in terms of skill, but having never really done big budget, you know, big action movies before, they get these directors, you know, Russos famously from, from Community, among other projects, and just make it, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, if you're Kevin Feige, like, what do you see in Community that screams doing two Captain America movies and two Avengers movies? You know, one lauded episode of Community, like a paintball episode, I believe had some. Was that the Dark Knight tribute movie? I don't know if it was a uh, episode. I mean, necessarily tribute. 
a tribute to Dark Knight, but just action movies in general that had some, right. you know, some great slow motion work and 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 choreography in its own right. And I guess they, you know, a lot of it they they pitched. I mean, you have when you have characters, <laughs> characters that people are so invested in, and and a, and a universe that people really want to be a part of. Yeah, I can imagine that the Russo brothers really put together a good pitch and and just showed what they were capable of, and and it must be like that with a, with a lot of the directors. Yeah, we'll get back to the Russos. I love this scene. You know, I made a joke in our Civil War review that I want I want an entire TV series of the two of them in like a like a family sitcom. You know, with the Scarlet Witch and Vision. Um, what I like is there is an attraction, but. It, it, there is a bizarre, like, he's, like, someone she's attracted to, but he's, like, a father, but he's, like, a brother. Like, they balance that really nicely. You know, he doesn't even know what love is. He's trying to understand it. I think he discovers it in this movie about her. I don't know if it's romantic or not. Um, they have great chemistry, the two of them. I mean, they, you know, you, they were clearly setting it up in Ultron, and obviously it comes from the comic books, these two. Um, but I, I couldn't have imagined in their short scenes they'd be so memorable. Look at her. I think that's the first time we ever see Wanda, like, smile, like, really, like, like calm, you know, relaxed smile and laugh only right here until this. And then two seconds from now, their relationship is going to be on the rocks. It's like they, they bond over mutual weirdness. Yes. It's like a nice little quirky relationship. Well, and they're both from the mind gem. She gets her powers. She got her powers from... Uh... Uh, Scarlet Witch got her powers from Hydra's experiments with the, uh, the Loki scepter, which was housing the Mind Gem. And part of the reason Ultron became Ultron was because they were trying to get the power from the scepter and not the purity of the gem inside, which is exactly, I think, what Thanos wanted. Maybe we'll get to the cosmology of the MCU, uh, how this connects to the upcoming you know, cosmic battle with, uh, with Thanos. Um, you know, this is a lot of uh, um, you know, character exposition. Right. Okay. So this is in Paprika, and then I love, I, <laughs> yeah, I love how uh, Paul Bettany plays this. Whoop moves and stands in front of her. Maybe we could order pizza. Right. She picks up immediately. That's not being uh, let leave. Um. And boom, arm up. I mean, it's. I don't know. Just the way Paul Bettany moves. And by the way how Joss Whedon's team and now the Russo's team came up with makeup that's so alien looking but it's so pleasing like my dad is always talking about we see the vision like it's just like really pleasing to the eye it, can, can you put your finger and look how look how good that looks I mean you can't tell where the, the, the makeup ends and the CG begins Yeah, it really is a remarkable remarkable job where it's not off-putting it doesn't distract you at all it just it looks natural in a way yeah um, it looks totally natural yeah I'm sure that's like a six hours of uh, of makeup job. Okay, so you know, again, the great conceit of this movie is that, the, as you said, the omniscience of Daniel Brühl's character as as Zemo. You know, I mean, f- to have the CIA and world governments involved, and in him to just be able to replace the psychologist guy to get to Bucky, and uh, you know, cause him to go off the rails again with the mind control stuff. Oh, vibranium! Here we go. He doesn't answer. Okay, so we'll, maybe we'll wait till the final teaser to talk about these three. 
I think Bucky is definitely going to be in the Black Panther movie. He's already in Wakanda, and I have a feeling Chris Evans is going to make an appearance because he is important, actually, uh, with, the, with the Black Panther and some of the comic book stories. In fact, Black Panther beats his ass <laughs> uh, when they rebooted, when uh, Reggie Hudlin um, rebooted Black Panther in, like, mid-2000s. It starts with him beating, beating Captain America. This is just a great moment where we really get that the wild card that Black Panther is in this movie. Like he's he doesn't know them. He's like, don't don't try to quit with me. I'm not your friend. You know, we're we're and they they're at a, in opposition for completely different reasons. It's nothing to do with the Sokovia Accords. Yeah. It's it's just you know your friend murdered my father and I I'm going to get my revenge. I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna mess Bucky up and there's nothing you can do to stop me. It's just so badass. That's a great point. And I never really thought of it this way, but Team Cap wins partially because Team Iron Man, the, 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 the characters in Team Iron Man, leave or, or turn on the team for various reasons, right? I mean, Scarlett Johansson uh, as Black Widow switches sides. Uh, Black Panther is only there for convenience sake. He has no real stake in the Sokovia Accords other than finding his father's killer. Um, Vision, either accidentally or not accidentally, takes down Rhodey. Rhodey's the one who's, who's always loyal to Tony, but the loyalty of, of Cap's people is always greater than Tony's. And, uh, the, you know, they, they, even though, you know, we can argue comparative power levels later, um, uh, but Team Cap was always going to have a, have a better chance of staying t- together. This is great, this whole scene coming up consequences i'm not getting that shield back (laughs) that's cold yeah the fact that she's rubbing it in i do think she's playing them the more i more times i see this movie the more times i think black widow's playing tony stark always i mean black black widows and you know her character is, is always one step ahead i mean that's that's just who she is it's like a character trait so what is this an emp like they go to the power station and it's like yeah yeah definitely emp it's props to marvel for just giving the audience a little bit of credit that they they can have an emp at the end 2016 and not have to explain like people just they get it this is a device that incapacitates you know electronic equipment people know it by now i mean you've seen you've seen some science fiction oh yeah I just prefer the uh, Matrix Reloaded model where they just blow up the nuclear reactor, take out the power for 30 blocks or whatever, as Jada Pickett-Smith just stands there and watches the whole thing go. But this is a, it is a cool idea, I mean, uh, you know, to, to explain from a technical standpoint, okay, uh, let's stop with the MP for a second, because this scene is amazing. Is Pepper here, you'd think he's rubbing it in, and then pregnant, <laughs> no, definitely not, taking a break. Um, I don't think we're seeing Gwyneth again, man. I could be wrong. Um, but the, 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 the anatomy of this scene is so interesting because he's already feeling bad for Tony. And this is the most real Tony's ever been. Right, Ultron, my fault. Yep, and then, and then, and then, I never stopped. This would be like the, the, the Oscar scene. Like, if you were to be nominated, right, this would be like the one they'd show at the, at the ceremony. Definitely, he's, he's just pouring it. He's pouring his soul in. He's vulnerable with Cap because Cap is his friend. He really values Cap. Right. He's referencing the parents. I only knew when he was young. It's like, oh, this is yeah. Yeah, and they, and they have it. they have a connection going back yeah. all of Tony's life, where you know his relationship with his father, and that that pride that his father had in being 
part of the creation of Captain America. Yeah. We didn't hint at uh, his jealousy of Cap in the first Avengers movie. Where, you know, he, he's just, from the first moment Tony meets Rogers in Avengers 1, he's taking digs at him and you're going, why is this guy going after Captain America? And then you find out it's because, you know, Cap and his dad are best friends and kind of extrapolate that, you know, I mean, Tony probably grew up, like he said, you know, hearing stories about Captain America a thousand times. Right, right. And that's how he frames this. He's using Bucky as leverage, actually, right? I mean, that's... He says, yeah, we can get Buggy to a psych center instead of locking him up forever if you sign this. That's what almost pushes Evans over the edge. So the question here is, would he have signed, you know, if this Wanda thing uh, didn't come up? Yeah, Tony's trying to say, yeah, 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 we can fix this later. Just sign, just sign. Just. I mean, he's desperate for Steve to sign this because he knows that as long as Captain America isn't signing this thing, it's never going to be 100% legit, you know? I mean, Cap just has too many followers, both superheroes and non-superheroes, right? And this is, you know, you touched on what you mentioned earlier about about the loyalty on Team, on team Cap yeah. that Tony doesn't have. You know, Cap would never, would never do that. And, you know, here, here's... Here's Tony just describing Wanda as a weapon of mass destruction, and you know Cap is appalled, and it's really, you know, where was Iron Man in the in the Avengers? I guess, you know, it, that team building that they established earlier, yeah. you know, really goes to reinforce that team cohesion that that Captain America and the loyalty that Captain America has later on in the movie. Yeah. But again, I want to pose you a question. So in Ultron, when he's trying to sell. Um, uh, Bruce Banner um, on well, making Vision, Ultron, right? Or, or Vision or Ultron? No, Ultron. In the mean, he says, you know, we can bust up, you know, drug dealers and arms dealers all the live long day. And he points to the sky, meaning the cosmic threat. He goes, but that's the real threat. I mean, he is specifically building Ultron to prepare for. He doesn't know it's Thanos, but he's seen the alien fleets, and that he has a vision of it at the beginning of Ultron. He saw at the end of the first Avengers when he took out the ship. He knows that they're out there and they're coming for Earth, right? We met Loki. I mean, we've already had multiple extraterrestrial things. So why? And then Bruce Banner has a great line about, well, the only thing then threatening people would be people, right? Sort of, sort of, you know, somewhat sarcastically or ironically. And so the question is, you know, how does Tony Stark go from wanting to build Ultron to protect Earth on sort of a cosmic level to now wanting to protect? the world against the Avengers um, I mean I, I guess you pointed out earlier it's just it's just guilt on his part so he's not acting rationally um, you know yeah well in a way I mean you can see Tony coming to grips with the guilt about his parents right. the guilt about Sokovia his desire to want to want to have a family and when yeah ultimately it's is his perspective is getting more narrow and focused on what's happening to him personally, right. and you can see how personally he is invested in wanting to keep keep the team together, keep his family together, reconcile with you know with Pepper, hope you know maybe. So yeah, his 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 focus is turning more inward, more more micro. But we, as the viewer, and especially those who follow the MCU and know we're headed to an Infinity War of a cosmic level, he wasn't wrong in Ultron. That's what people, I think, don't get about the Ultron thing is... He, he screwed up making Ultron. He should have consulted his friends. They should have rushed it in three days or whatever it was. You know, they explore. A little Easter egg there. D23 is the name of the uh, Marvel... Oh, no, it's the Disney... Uh, the Disney yeah, the Disney... Yeah. Uh, 
Con. Is that Basically, Celebration? D23? No, there's because there's Celebration, then there's, yeah, it's the, it's, right, yeah. the Disney Marvel Comic Con thing. Uh, D23. We also speculate, you know, is, is Homecoming as one of the trigger words, you know, an Easter egg for Spider-Man Homecoming. We'll get back to that. But you know what I'm saying, man? I mean, he was right about needing something like Ultron to fight Thanos. They, they don't know it yet, but they're going to need more than what they got. Which could ultimately, could ultimately be Vision. You know, he has yes. the mind gem in his mind. Yes. Well, on, on his head. And, yeah, they created him through the same process. Yes. Yeah. Same, it was the body that Ultron intended for himself, yeah. you know. Yeah, v- Vision was what Ultron was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And it's Jarvis, too. They kind of had that, right. that comparison in the beginning. This is one of those things that only happens, like, when you have good karma, which is you cast a guy to play a voice inside a suit of armor... You know, and then seven years later, you discover that not only is he a really good actor, but he's a great-looking guy who looks perfect. I mean, he's he's muscular. He has a classic, you know, kind of Shakespearean look and sound. How he carries himself, how he talks. Um, there's no way they were planning that. I I I looked too closely. I don't know when they were like, okay, we're gonna make Jarvis into <laughs> into uh, uh into the vision. And I, you know, as people complain about the sort of the the easy, you know, the Deus Ex Machina of Vision in Age of Ultron, but to me, it's overwhelmed by just the performance of of Paul Bettany and the way that he so seemingly, uh, so seamlessly joins into the team. And that was a great scene, kind of just the physical acting of of Stan here. I think Stan. Uh, is very underrated in this movie. I mean, he's really one of the more... Indi- of, you know, you really could have had Ant-Man, not had Ant-Man, had Hawkeye, not had Hawkeye. Obviously, they all contribute, and it's great when they're there, but, I mean, Stan is really the the, the third lead, all right? I mean, if, if, if Cap is lead one, or Tony's lead two, or 2A, or 1A, I should say, um, you know, I guess uh, Sam too with Bucky, uh, and, and the thing is, the the scenes with the three of them, where it's Sam and Bucky and Cap, are so good and actually hilarious at times. Um, but not now when they're fighting fighting each other. Uh, I, I was hoping for more of the three of them in this movie. I mean, it was so clearly set up for those three actors to spend a lot of time together. And they decided they were going to go with more of an ensemble cast instead of the Winter Soldier approach of only having you know three, four, five main characters. Um, another question I want to ask you, man, is you know this movie is setting up the final Avengers movie, but it's also giving the Russos the experience to make you know to make a movie as big as the Avengers, right? I mean, they, it was like this movie they had to experiment a little bit in some ways because it was such a jump from Winter Soldier in terms of scope and scale and uh, it's sort of a midway point between Winter Soldier and you know the ridiculous hugeness that I, I assume uh, the final Avengers movies are going to be. Yeah, they're, they're talking about adding, adding uh, Guardians of the Galaxy into the mix. Oh, that's confirmed. Yeah, uh, Vin, uh, Vin Diesel confirmed that. And it's almost in a way where you know you had those the block letters to announce what country they're in. They're, they're, they're globetrotting in this and foreshadowing that they're going to be hopping all over the galaxy or all over the, the universe yeah. in the next movie. So it's just a slowly ramping up. And yeah, like the Russos seem to be on top of it. You know, they 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 got the, the tone and, and style of a 70s spy movie and, and Winter Soldier. And this is just 
a blockbuster like we've never seen with the just the amount of characters and what they're able to do managing such a large cast. Um, Boom. I wish I wish uh, Sharon Carter didn't get her ass kicked so quickly here. You know, I'm always complaining about this with with females fighting males. It's like either give them a real fighting chance. You know, like with a Black Widow, you always think she has a shot. You know, or don't do it. You know, because otherwise it's just a man a man beating up a woman in three seconds. Okay, so I, I read that this scene here has like 180 cuts or something like that. Um, and not even the extended scene, like just what's going on in the CAA building. It's like 160, 180 cuts. It doesn't look like that that many to me, but it is a lot. And it was one thing I didn't understand um, why they why they needed to do that when they really had perfected uh, their own, their own style um, of not too many cuts in Winter Soldier. And this is really building up Black Panther. He's, yeah. This is not this is not an ordinary man, even no. without the suit. With 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 all of his his weapons taken away, he's still able to go toe to toe with with Bucky, which no one else in this scene was able to do. Yeah, yeah, I, and I said in our review, I believe Gabriel, that uh, that's my favorite Black Panther fighting is the T'Challa straight up going up against uh, Sebastian Sand. I'm tell I'm telling you, if you if you've read Black Panther, there's a lot of hand to hand fighting. At the, that's part of the culture of Wakanda. I think with Ryan Coogler directing and Chadwick Boseman, we're going to see yeah. some, some Creed-level uh, extended uh, fights that are just two guys going at each other would be my guess. Okay, here it is. This is the bromance on display. Yeah, this is the scene that had you know, all the ladies in the theater swooning. Yeah. I, I heard audible oh gasps. So like, oh, oh, my. Oh, my God. Look, boom. That's hard to do. Yeah. Switch the arm. This is hard to act like this because he's not, it's not pulling at him in real life. But look at yeah. it. Oh yeah. But well, just yeah. shows the lengths that you know Steve is willing to do, and he and he knows it. You know, Bucky would kill him in an instant. He's just willing to sacrifice himself. Well, no. Winter Soldier would kill him in an oh, instant. Right, right. Bucky would never kill him, and that's the, you know that's why he's never going to stop fighting for Bucky. Um, and. Uh, Oh, here we go. By the way, this is clearly a mirror of the end of Winter Soldier, right? Where they fall in the water and, and Bucky pulls him out. Here they fall in the water and Steve pulls him out, I think. Boom. That looks great. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they, they did... I mean, look, if you look at the Winter Soldier, the final carrier battle is the only extended CGI sequence. So, they, you know, the Russos really need to step up their game here. Now, it helped that they had a $250 million budget, which is the same budget as Avengers Age of Ultron. And it also helped that, you know, Ultron, um, with each of these movies, they get pushed further. So Avengers, and then Iron Man 3 pushes it further, and then Winter Soldier and Guardians of 2014. I mean, they, they, they just keep getting better at it. Um, Marvel, uh, that is. And uh, really quickly, too, Infinity War, whatever they're going to call the final Avengers movies, um, I'm totally cool with the Russo's doing it, and each time I watch this movie, I'm more and more convinced that they can pull it off. It is interesting, though, to think what a James Gunn-directed final Avengers movie would be, considering that, A, the Guardians are going to be fairly central, um, and B, as you pointed out, and no one's talking about, I mean, are they going to leave Earth to fight Thanos, or is it just Thanos? Because if it's just Thanos coming to Earth, we don't need James Gunn. But if they're going to be planet hopping, you know, uh, the Avengers, that is, uh, I mean, like, I could see them, you know, getting on spaceships with the Guardians, right? In, in which case, uh, th th that's wholly new territory. I love this scene, by the way. That would pose a lot of challenges in itself, just, you know, how are they going to be able to be in space? They're going to have, like, the old dome, you know, fish fishbowl helmets on Captain America in space, like... 
know how to hey, deal with it. It looked great on Matt Damon in The Martian, man. Those, those, I thought The Martian had the best uh, sort of modern-looking NASA-style spacesuits we've seen. The interstellar ones look kind of goofy in comparison. The, the big, I actually like the big helmet design with the orange padding. Uh, it's possible we could see him go to space, but yeah, I think you're right. I think Thanos is coming here and the Guardians are going to come here. Maybe it like happens on the moon or something. Yeah, and I know I may have didn't mention it in our first talk about this movie, and I know we mentioned it. I may have talked about it just in passing, but the parallels between Bucky and Jessica Jones and being under my control and right. you know co- dealing with not being in control of your actions and then the repercussions of it afterwards. And you can see here he's just like, all right, well, what did what, ex- what did I do? Not again. Right. And he, Stan really sells it here. He's amazing. Yeah. I don't think they needed to show this a third time. I think the beginning and the end would have been plenty. Um, I guess the fact that I knew this was the Starks ahead of time made me like, okay, we don't need to keep seeing this over and over again. Um, now, the way they shoot it with the color filter and, and the way he rides the motorcycle and the thing crashes, and here we see the uh, the first shot. I mean, in 1991 on some random road, they just happened to have a camera in the trees. Come on, people. We can do better than that. Yeah, and the other super soldiers, I guess that was an interesting twist that makes Bucky a little bit... And he says they're better than him, right, uh, coming up here. He says they're more powerful than he was. And then we don't even get to see him in action. I mean, this is all a giant red herring. Um, to, to, to think that, you know, that... that uh, uh, I was going to say Nemo. <laughs> that Zemo, Zemo's plan was to let these guys loose. He was really going to kill them. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, oh, really quickly, I wanted to bring up the comic book. The Civil War comic book, uh, or a series of comic books, really not amazing, actually. I I think they do some things in this movie way better than the comic book. But this scene, while not integral to the plot, and may just seem like a red herring, it does give more depth to Zemo's character, where you do expect Zemo to just become a more standard you know, oh, yeah, I'm going to have my own army. We're going to take right. over the world in this conventional way. You know, twirl his mustache, Moha evil laugh. Right. But in the end, he's like, you know what? I, you know, you come in and the, 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 uh, what, do you, what do you call that? The twist is he's just shot him all in the head. And he's just there to make, you know, the reveal that what he's been doing all along is just to have the team fight each other. And it grounds Nemo. <laughs> I said it again. It grounds Nemo and, and makes him uni- a unique villain. That he, he's not really trying to do a, 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 a scheme to take over the world. He really just wants to d- destroy the Avengers with their own personal conflicts, which is you know, just adds a new a new element that you don't really see in big block- blockbusters. I, I think I was slightly wrong. He said they were worse than him, not not stronger. That they were just like more more evil and unstable than he is in Winter Soldier mode, um, you know. Is <laughs> the way that they're able to get him out of Winter Soldier mode? I, I mean, you know, it's like it's like uh, Scarlet, um, Scar- it's Black Widow, you know, in the first Avengers, hitting Hawkeye so hard in the head to get him out of Loki's mind control. You know, you got to go along with it. And those super soldiers being worse than Bucky, there's. Yeah. And it may may just be Bucky speaking well of himself. In the comics, some iterations of the Winter Soldier, back when, you know, uh, Cap and Bucky were in World War II, 
Bucky was the one that would do all the dirty, wet work stuff on the side, like assassinating people. Right. You know, there's things that Captain America would never morally be able to self to, to do. So, you know, even before he was the Winter Soldier, Bucky had those elements of, you know, being a, being a killer, being yeah. willing to go do whatever it takes to complete a mission, following orders. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, in the comic books, uh, I believe Spider-Man also takes tony Stark's side um and and reveals himself to be peter parker like that was the big reveal everyone like knew that he was peter parker i don't know if i got because then they they had there was a black panther civil war one which was decent you know like every major character had their own civil war run you know over like a couple year period um it was just kind of cheesy the art wasn't great i mean instead of legos there was just like a nuclear expl- level explosion in virginia or something uh by by one of the the bad superheroes um, actually, no. It was caused by young superheroes who are going going vigilante. We're at a school, I think. It's- yeah, like they were like young X Men, but not X Men. Yeah, um, and you know, in, in that story, because they had access to the X Men, it got really bloated. And the Fantastic, you know, everyone was picking sides. Queens, yes. Here we go. Oh, this is great. I'm gonna pass this to Gabriel because I'm gonna just start laughing. So yeah, this is the the grounded 2016. You know Peter Parker. You know he's got he's got his DVD player. He's in a little crappy apartment in Queens. No, it, it reflects the modern real estate situation that New York is in. You know, nobody has big houses right now. If you're poor, single single parent raised by a single parent. Oh man, here it comes. Oh, look at Marissa Tomei. She's so sexy. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm Peter. Yeah, it makes you. That must be CG. No, she shouldn't look that good. No, but she's she's like in she's her still 50s. gorgeous. She looks amazing. Oh my god. Oh man. She could even be the you know the, have the soul of the my cousin Vinny character. You know oh, yeah. that character on the inside. Like look at her. She's killing it. She's being asked to d- do so much character work in such a short amount of time in a movie that's not even really about Spider-Man. This is all about setting up the future movie, right? Um, but you can already see the chemistry. And even... yeah, we, I can't believe she's really an ant. We, we come in all shapes and sizes. Oh, the walnut date loaf. <laughs> Let me stop you there. Yeah, he's immediately about the money with, with Mr. Stark. It's important that they're in semi-pop... Not poverty, you know, but they don't have a lot of money. I remember when they cast Marissa Tomei as Aunt May. That was already like a revolutionary idea. At what point did they decide RDJ was going to be a part of it? Hard to know. I think he, he probably has a crush on Marissa Tomei in real life. It was like, oh yeah, Spider-Man be part of that. And Spider-Man, by the way, with the, with, if you compare like how much Spider-Man movies made you know, 10, 13 years ago... In terms of um, uh, solo movies, I mean, I think Spider-Man could make Avengers money uh, just because it's Spider-Man, right? I mean, if Captain America Civil War can make almost $1.2 billion, it seems to me Spider-Man could, could top that. And if you, look, if, if you follow any Marvel podcasts or, or anything like that, all they can talk about is fucking Spider-Man. I personally don't love Spider-Man. This is great. This is the first time I've ever liked Spider-Man, and that includes all comics and movies. I love Tom Holland here and the way they do this. You know, he, he's, he's like one of the only guys in the world that's as smart as Tony Stark, right? And can kind of keep up with him, at least from like a witty repartee st- uh, standpoint.
he sells the, that he's really a teenager, and that that was some of the biggest problems in the older movies. He had you know, Tommy McGuire in his late twenties. Yep. You know, Gar, uh, Garfield also just a much older older guy, older actor. So yeah, I mean, this is you know visually it works. He's got the mannerisms, the awkwardness. It just it's more natural just because it, it's reality. You know, he's more f- fitting the age. It's interesting to think why... Oh, here we go. Right. Boom. Tensile strength. Yeah. (laughs) Interesting to think why it took till now to get a a teenage... Teenage... uh, Peter Parker. You know, now they're starting to feel comfortable. Like, you know... Look, X-Men Apocalypse didn't do great. Most people didn't like it. I thought it was decent, but... uh, The fact that they just got all these young kids who were like 16, 17 years old to play the roles, and I thought for the most part did pretty well in that movie... Um, you, you know, like why it's just like ch- child actors now. It's like it's easier to get a handle on than, than in the old days. That little scene where Tony throws yeah. the web cartridge. It, I, it. Yeah, it, yeah. Tony throws it. Peter Peter catches it. It's even I'm noticing not just in the concept of the interaction, but the uh, <laughs> the Justice League trailer. Uh-huh. That scene between Bruce uh, Bruce Wayne and the Flash. I don't know if it's Wally West or I think it's another Flash, but the same thing. He throws the Batarang and observes his power. So you can see that, you know, Spider-Man has the heightened heightened reflexes. I, and I kind of got the overall vibe of their interaction was similar, but even to, you know, the throwing and then watching the character catch it, it's almost a direct, uh, just a direct copy, a little biting, as we say in the hip-hop there. A little biting indeed. Shit, what the fuck was I going to say? <laughs> I just had a great idea that I totally forgot. Uh, oh, yeah. I think, was it you or Noah in the review podcast who said, like, Tom Holland does a much cooler version of with great power comes great responsibility here. Uh, one of you guys brought that up. Um, maybe both of you. You know, that, like, that's way more how a teenager would think, you know, about moral issues because his brain isn't developed enough to, like, take on big philosophical concepts, right? He sees a bully, he wants to take him on. And, uh... Yeah, this is great here. Sits on the bed. Yeah. <laughs> you got a passport? He goes right to it. I don't even have a driver's license. Germany, right. This is great. Here it comes. I can't go to Germany. Why? I got homework. I'm going to pretend you didn't say that. <laughs> uh, might be a little dangerous. And hottie. Okay, is there any way him, him and uh, May aren't hooking up in, in the Spider-Man movie? You think they're just going to constantly tease it? We haven't really had a lot of sex. Jessica Jones is the only Marvel property where we've actually had sex. You know, it could, it could go either way. It could go either way. I mean, this series has the relationship between Cap and Scarlet Witch is one of the few kind of platonic interactions between a man and a woman in and it's it's a great thing, so it would be nice for them to extend that further. <laughs> yes. I know not everyone's a fan of Jeremy Renner. I love him as Hawkeye. He gets better at every movie as Hawkeye, in my opinion. You're right, disappointing my kids. We know he's got the family. I love the family stuff and Ultron, whatever. We won't go there. But I do love these two, how comfortable they are together. Right, he grabs her hand. You know, if, if they're, these are like two competing father figures here, right? Or, or just older male figures. Um, I mean, it's hard to say how old Vision is. Yeah, Vision's... He's a year or he's six billion years. That could be one of the... I mean, the, the Infinity Stones come from the beginning of the universe or earlier. Boom. 
Right. So you have you have Hawkeye take out Vision with arrows. Oh, this is great. It's this way. <laughs> so, so, he, so he takes out he takes out Vision with arrows, and then you have you know Ant Man take out take out Iron Man, which which is actually very believable. Um, but but then you have Natasha. Here's another one. Boom. Oh, this is where she drops him through the ground. Yeah, they had teased this scene. I had heard something about this, you know, that she was going to, you know, really take down Vision big time. Boom, boom, boom. Damn it. <laughs> Look, at, he's just, he's great at physical comedy. You, you know, the, you know when he's uh, in the final battle of Sokovia and, and Quicksilver, you know, is still giving him a hard time. Keep up, old man. And he points his bow and arrow like, Quicksilver, he's like well off screen at that point. He's like, no one would miss him. I already no miss him. No one would know. <laughs> uh, here it comes. And that's why she can control him, man, because of her. Part of the reason is because of her connection with, with the mind gem. Um, she was made from it. He's dependent on it, I think is the idea here. Uh, really explain the extent of her powers. I mean, in, in the comics, the she's just, yeah. just, you know, she can alter reality. She's maybe the most powerful uh being on earth just to, you know it was the one one story where she just changes the reality in order to bring her children back from the dead or something like that just really op she also uh in, in one of the better and more famous recent x-men stories house of m killed most of the mutants on earth and led to like a four-year-long x-men story of like trying to like save the mutant species cable coming back with the future with like a new mutant who just been born and Oh, this is great. Okay, so that's the Dora Milaje on the left there. They tease his uh, female bodyguards, the Dora Milaje. We're going to be seeing a lot of them in um, Black Panther. I like how <laughs> the Dora Milaje immediately is threatened by, but then threatens uh, uh, Black Widow. Um, but yeah, I, I would say Jean Grey in, in full Phoenix mode is probably as powerful as Scarlet Witch. Um, but the thing with Scarlet Witch is she's like the dark Phoenix. She's totally insane. You know, when, when Jean's the dark Phoenix and you have the insane, um, they must've fought each other because they've got similar powers. I mean, the Scarlet Witch is manifest. Oh, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we just missed it. I got a shout out to Papa Bizzle. We saw this movie twice together. We always talk about that little exchange where he says, can you move your seat up? And Sam just goes, no, <laughs> this is amazing humor. I'd love to see more of. I, I felt like we earned this kiss. Again, you have to have seen Winter Soldier and this. And they both know... I think it's also like, I may never see you again kind of kiss. You know what I mean? It's, it's, been, three, it's been three movies. At this point, you're like, oh, Cap's got to get some kind of action. You know, rumored it's possible that, you know, Cap is a virgin. I mean, they never really establish him. Yeah. You know, getting so time it's about time yeah well we know from the winter soldier that he hasn't kissed anyone since 1945 when, when black widow asks him that's one of the great scenes of any marvel movie is him and black widow driving uh to the army base and she's giving him a hard side how your first kiss since 1945 he goes that bad huh she goes no i was just wondering if you had any practice he goes you don't need practice she goes yeah everyone needs practice <laughs> look at that car it's so funny these three muscle men oh man okay so I have to say, points uh, uh, to uh, time on screen, Ant-Man, game, set, match, in a way, you know? I mean, he's really in this scene and then the battle, and that is it. But he's... <laughs> Paul Rudd kills me. I, I don't know.
What time zone is this? <laughs> oh. And here he is, this, you know. Oh, yeah. Captain America. Our Morgan. gateway into the movie. We're, we're, we're in Paul Rudd's shoes right now. Totally. Yeah. And what's great about this, actually, and they've confirmed this, is it sets up that he's going to be on the run in Ant-Man and the Wasp, uh, at least when Ant-Man and the Wasp begins because of him being a fugitive here. <laughs> thanks, thanks for thanking of me. <laughs> hey, man, what's up, Tic Tac? Did I miss the part where he turns around to Elizabeth Olsen and goes, you're great, too. <laughs> uh, right, right. The, the audition is referring to the, uh, the scene that everyone loves from Ant-Man where he, they, they, he has to uh, invade the Avengers facility and, and go super small and takes out Falcon. And Falcon's just like, make sure, Captain, you know, make sure Steve never finds out about this. <laughs> He's still embarrassed. And he says that'll never happen again. But honestly, if Ant-Man wanted to happen again, he could do it. So this is my thing with Ant-Man, dude. Not only is it the most unrealistic of all the superpowers, but it's, I mean, he, he is really... If you had the Quantum Zone stuff... It is. We were just talking about the Scarlet Witch, but he could be the most powerful. Let's put it this way: the most dangerous. Yeah, he could be the most dangerous. Okay, here we go. I'm going to resist the urge to do CGI play-by-play on this one because it's really the whole scene once the fighting starts. I personally love this movie for a lot of reasons before this, but many people point to this as like you know the greatest superhero fight ever. I still think. The best two or three fights from the two Avengers movies are better than this. Um, more kinetic. I don't know what to say. Gabriel, talk about the, the airport fight. I mean, this, there's no stakes here at whatsoever. I mean, you really could have taken this out of the movie and just gone straight to Siberia. The stakes, which we will soon see, are that, you know, prison is at stake. Their freedom. Yeah, and, no one was ever going to die, you know. You never think... You know. I mean, there's there's a character that looks like he, he you know, there is a, a character who suffers you know, paralysis and is near death. Right. So Tom Holland was never anywhere near this set, which is fine. <laughs> Cap, Captain. Yeah. But the reason why... Big fan. The reason why people would classify this as a superhero fight is for little moments like this. The way the superheroes interact with this. Yes. They interact with each other. Interact with each other. Isn't They're not just fighting mindless drones, you know, like you know, Chitari or Ultron bots. They're really, you can see the personalities clash, their powers clash. And if for that reason, it kind of makes it unique in the, in the best fight. Yeah, no, it's it's just that they were leaning so heavily on it. Like, when I saw the Battle of Sokovia in the theater for the first time, I had no idea it was coming. The flying city, the whole thing. I mean, they, they showed almost none of that in the trailers leading up to it. The Winter Soldier fights, you know, they there was a lot we hadn't seen. We saw a lot of this in the trailers. Uh, we knew what the dynamics were going to be. All right, Lang. Yep, he's on the shield. <laughs> like, that looked good. What the hell is that? <laughs> I believe this is yours, Captain America. <laughs> Um, but that that performance by uh, Robert Downey Jr. there before, where he's about to lose it on on Cap, uh, it, it makes it all worth it. Absolutely. When I was saying this, there's no stakes. It was like, yeah, it, prison, but no one was ever going to die, and they don't even stay in prison that long because Cap frees them at the end, right? So this is all CGI. And I'll make this one last comment. I've heard that except for those insert shots of the faces of people who are uncovered, it's it's all CGI, which is fine. If you're talking about stakes in a movie, did you ever really think that Ultron was going to destroy the world? 
I mean, do you really? At the end of the day, no. I was all these movies. I you was think, hoping you, you know this. I was just hoping they killed some civilians for once. I was, I was, I was, I was uh, hoping we'd see some civilian death in Ultron, and we we saw um, Aaron Taylor Johnson give his life. I think that was the only uh, human death. No, there were definitely casualties. I mean, they showed the counter in the beginning, probably like you know, a couple thousand or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just have to assume that. No, they show in the Thunderbolt Ross. If you kind of zoom in, oh, it has they a give yeah, and there's uh, okay. there's numbers on all of them. What was the numbers for Battle of New York? Uh, it was in the hundreds, I believe. Yeah, that should have been in like the ten thousands. I mean, an alien army with the Hulk running around. Come on. Yeah, I mean, you know, as we enjoy the gloriousness of watching this, and it is a lot of fun to watch. Um, I have to say, man, the pg-13 thing is starting to be a bummer and after seeing deadpool and seeing what you could do with a more adult movie you know <laughs> i played at shot 18 <laughs> can't seem to miss oh yeah first time for everything made you look this is great i mean yeah i mean wanda's the most uh, powerful person in this yeah. battle no question i mean team cap has no chance without her whatsoever and by the way the look of her and the straight jacket at the end when she's in the prison is amazing amazing uh physical performance by her i love that it's so sad you know again like she's getting blamed for all sorts of stuff that's not her fault um and those are those are your stakes that's that's the payoff from the stakes and the russos said they wanted to make a fight scene have stakes without resorting to just killing off a character and, right. and then you can see the emotional stakes that oh, right. how what's vision like after this before yeah. and after yeah what's the, the characters that are arrested what are what are they like before and after so the, the outcomes you know it does have stakes and they're not they're not cheap they're hard-earned i'm just saying man you have on the one hand you have superman you have man of steel and batman v superman where they're just blatantly killing tons of civilians and then the marvel movies where they're blatantly you know have oh here we go <laughs> what is it i hate you yeah <laughs> they're great together man uh it's such a tease maybe we'll see it again the three of them i think there's a chance right if bucky gets cured he gets he's gonna get a vibranium arm that that'll be a nice side benefit of losing his arm oh right it gives him the wrong the wrong toy truck i mean and that is really fun i rewatched it for the first time since the theater recently and i'm still like nah. um i think the second will be better they, um some more evangeline lily uh and him unless michael douglas no offense michael douglas <laughs> just the look that cap gives him it's like come on like he doesn't know this guy he's like come on you joker like this guy just you know, step your game up. Like, here's another great. I mean, they just have such great chemistry. I think Jeremy Renner as a father figure to uh, to Elizabeth Olsen as as Wanda. Um, oh, there we go. Right, you had to line them up. Vision's the one to draw the line. What does he say? You set the stakes or something? Um, all I'm saying, man, is 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 the you know, if you look at the act structure, the amount of violence. You know, and, and those things of all the Marvel movies, and really a lot of the DC movies, it's really all this pretty much the same. Um, you know, you can say a few shits, you can maybe get away with a fuck, although they'll never do that, I don't think, in the Marvel movie. There might have been an F bomb at some point in a Marvel movie, but they, you know, they'll say shit once or twice. There's a lot of bloodless violence. You know, people, it's implied that people are being killed. Um, this is a great job, by the way. So everyone in, the, in that walking scene, you know, where they're walking at each other, this is like gangs in New York, right? So when the gangs in New York thing, 
Oh, yeah, Scarlet Witch actually flying. I mean, the thing is, she's mostly jumping like Jessica yeah. Jones. She doesn't, in, you know, in the she comics, she can straight up fly. She propel herself. Yeah, yeah. Like, Jet yeah, so she's she's jumping around like JJ, which is fine. Um, you know, as always, Olsen does what she's doing, moving her hands. She like has a coach specifically about like you know how she should be moving her hands and body at, at certain points. Um, I, yeah, this was in the trailer, but I still love it. Yeah, these two together are great. I mean, that's the thing. That's what makes battle work for me is is who's fighting who when. Yeah, she insults him here. You're pulling your punches. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, so, so dude, so you know that part a minute ago where the two sides were walking at each other? Yeah. The only people who were actually walking there were the ones not in costume. It looked very real to me. I thought that was well done. Here we go, more. You're right. You had to have... Oh, she's... Again. It's the thing. She's Everywhere. taking out everyone. And props to the movie for never really objectifying women. There were a few shots... In, in Winter Soldier where, you know, a little gratuitous booty shot of a Black Widow walking away wow. or a couple of t- I mean, that's you know, Scarlett Johansson. I, I know. I know. But, you know, I commend, the, I commend everybody involved in this movie. It's like really, you know, um, Scarlet Witch, her costume in the comic books versus this. Yeah. Completely different. And, uh, and you really focus on her powers and on what her character is doing. And you're not, she's not objectified. Yeah. And it's, you know, really levels the playing field. It's Marvel's own amazing things with their diversity, not just with tokenism or just having these characters, but really making you focus on who they are as the characters and letting them grow in, in yeah. these great arcs. I mean, dude, I, I talked about this in, I think, my Winter Soldier commentary, which is that, yes, they have Scarlett Johansson wear tight bodysuits at times, but they never show cleavage, ever. Honestly, if you watch all the movies, they have no Scarlett cleavage. Maybe. Scarlet Witch has more cleavage in Ultron than we see from Scarlett Johansson, and even like the the the, the like 1920s speakeasy thing when she's hitting on Mark Ruffalo at the beginning of Age of Ultron is is somewhat conservative. Um, I, I don't think she demands it. I just think they she's so sexy already. It, again, don't objectify them more than you have to. This is great. This just really grounds this movie in reality in a way that you know the DC movies being like Gotham, Metropolis. Right. You know, all these, like, made-up cities, you really can't get the sense. And I think Marvel, just, not just the movies, but the comics, <laughs> comics as a whole, just have a feel <laughs> that they're in the real world. Sorry. Ant-Man, Tony Stark. Who's talking, Ant-Man? It's your conscience. We don't talk a lot these days. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's great that, um, that, uh, um, shit, what's, what's Ant-Man's real name? Scott Lang. Scott Lang. It's great that Scott Lang is already, you know... Uh, giving a hard time to Tony Stark, really probably having very little information about what's going on, just because he loves Captain America, right? He's like, well, if Captain America needs me, then Tony Stark must be doing some fucked up shit. Right, here's where they realize they're not getting out. This is all a holding pattern, which is fine. It's well done. I just, I still think Whedon does the team stuff the best. The Roosters are getting better, and hopefully Infinity War will be the best. Although, you know, if they have 50 superheroes, I don't know how they're going to do in Infinity War. Yeah, the Ant-Man stuff is so cool. Little innuendo there. <laughs> I'm sorry. What? Just, uh, oh, just comparative stuff. No, no, no. I was, I was just saying the the line. I have something kind of big, but I can't oh. hold it very long. <laughs> I don't know. Just coming out of Paul Rudd. Just coming out of Paul Rudd as he's you know Same. running like. You think little, that was meant to be a double entendre? I, you you know, in a childish mind, you know, a little, little immature. <laughs> yeah, you could definitely take it there. Like, uh, here we go. I like how he's like scared. Boom. 
And this is definitely, this oh, is just. Oh, this is great. I love this. Yeah, this is why, you know, Exhibit D, you're probably down to Exhibit D of like the, the reasons why this is the greatest superhero fight put the film yet. It's just, you know, the scale, the creativity, the powers, the way, the reaction of the powers. It's just so. everything, you know, we as comic fans that we dreamed about, you know, a clash between, and, and, and the best example of it even like you know video games that we know so far like limited by you know the 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 2d perspective the move sets that you know we would input there were everything is limited but this is just the creativity that's used the scale the the amount of characters interacting at once you know it's i don't know if even the comics have done it as as well I'm not saying it's not great. I'm just saying the final battles of both Avengers movies are right up there. I'm not willing to definitively give it to this one. I mean, just the fact that Thor, uh, Thor, Black Widow, and Hawkeye all get to use Cap Shield at one point or another, and and Ultron is great. Oh, this is yeah. <laughs> oh, this yeah, is no. this line is so yeah, good none, coming none up. None of that's fucking with this though. None of that's fucking with this. This, like the, this moment right here. You have Spider Man. Taking down a giant Ant Man with like War Machine and and the Vision helping out like yeah, this is great. Boom! I love that. It blows up. Nothing happens. <laughs> Hawkeye's like, uh, we haven't met yet. This and this is a, this line completely sums up the Black Panther. I'm Clint. I don't care. He's so apathetic about the rest of the world. I think part of his journey, maybe not in the first Black Panther movie, but at some point, is going to be, you know not being so a little provincial, you know? I mean, the Wakandans, for good reason, think they're better than everyone. Just It's like American, um, you know, exceptionalism. It's like Wakandan exceptionalism. I think that's great that that's a theme that they're going to explore, which is why I think there there have to be some American characters, whether they're black, white, or other, in, in the Black Panther movie. <laughs> yeah, get up. Yeah. Boom. Oh. Oh, they're running. Yeah, the fact that Hawkeye's even trying to take on Panther here. Yeah, this is so great. <laughs> Something just flew in me. <laughs> oh, that's right. He's just going through. Um, yeah, go ahead. And you don't really need, you know, Whedon. It's almost in the Paul Rudd character who is Ant-Man. And, oh, yeah. the, and this, you know, great casting yeah. is Ant-Man. But that yeah. injects the humor in. So we're... You know, it's not like the weed and dialogue, the quippiness. It's just the yeah. personality. It makes yeah. it more, more natural because it's just like, oh, that's we know that's Ant Man. That's Ant personality. That's that's Paul Rudd here, and that's what he would do in this situation. I love Scarlet. Always has the electrocution powers. They keep finding new ways to use it. It's great. I love that. That's one of her her weapons. I totally agree with you, man. I like that the Russos' sense of humor is different. I like that James Gunn's sense of humor is different. You know, I don't want everything to be Whedon esque. Um, and in fact, it's not a coincidence that Rudd took a final pass at the Ant Man script with Adam McKay. You know, those two guys have worked together before in a lot of comedies. So you know, the, yeah, I agree. Paul Rudd's Paul Rudd's a comedic force unto himself, um, but. You know, but unlike Ant Man, I don't think he wrote any of his lines here, and they they still nailed it. Boom! The double punch. That was awesome. Okay, so Spider Man saying awesome. Uh, there should be a drinking game for how much Spider Man says awesome in this scene. Uh, the annoying teenager thing I get is part of the the character in the comic books. I think you probably like Spider Man more than I do. Maybe no more than I do. I know that's his persona, but you got to dial back the annoyingness a little bit, right? You can't have him be like stereotypical teenage guy all the time. Yeah, Tony's like, oh my god, I got this kid killed. Yeah. 
do you think this is Tom Holland? You know, same same day they shot the room, they shot this. Because uh, I mean, they certainly I didn't. I think that he was not talking to Robert Downey Jr. there. Oh yes, yeah, well yeah, CG. You can see. No, but I'm saying like they sh- definitely shot Tom Holland on a on an airport set. But okay. Not at the same time. Here we go. Right. Yeah, yeah. you can see the way the cameras. Sh- yeah. This seems like a fatal scene. flaw for the Black Panther, doesn't it? For his uniform. I guess it is made of metal. Metal is metal, no matter how strong it is. So. We gotta talk about Black Panther. There's a difference, right? It's not a coincidence about the vibranium stuff. It's also not a coincidence that Black Panther is the final movie before Avengers, um, Avengers 3, um, which is like three months after Black Panther comes out, if you can believe that. That's going to be a crazy time in early 2018. But I think Cap's going to get a new shield, obviously. I think Iron Man's going to get a vibranium suit, and Bucky will get a vibranium arm. They need it to fight Thanos. They, they need to have some advantages. Earth, these Earthbound superheroes, as powerful as they are, they need some advantages against Thanos and his army. I think Vibranium's going to be one. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, Wakanda is where you get, get the Vibranium. How the hell did, did uh, Falcon line that one up? Or that's just horrible luck? Or, or is it a purpose by vision? We talked you know, about this. Yeah. Fog, of, uh, fog, fog of war. Fog of war, yeah. You know, shit happens. You were on the side with me, I think, that he was distracted, the vision. Just the moment, you know, he, he's, holding, he's holding Scarlet Witch in his arms. Right. You know, they're... But for him to miss the shot so badly... Yeah, I think, I think he was, he was just distracted. That's a transition there. I think he was just distracted. That looks, every time they take the mask off of the Iron Man suit, that's what sells it, you know? You're yeah. like, wow, they actually built part of a suit. A little, a little unusual that, you know, even... Even Falcon has a little a parachute in the back of his pack, and the, the Iron Man suits don't have parachutes at this point. Like you know, it's... I, I think that's, I think that's just part of Iron Man's hubris, you know. That's right. I mean, the Hulk had to catch him at the end of Battle of New York. He was going to hit the ground. Um, I think it would just throw off the aerodynamic, you know, like. Maybe it's hubris, maybe it's also bravery, saying, well, I, you know, my suit won't be as effective if I have a big fucking parachute back here. That's a good point. I never thought about that. <laughs> yeah. You know me so well. All right, here's the dead body and the, uh... Yeah. And this actually is a Whedon move with the horror stuff that he's never done. I always thought she looked like Anne Hathaway. Man, I wish we could get Anne Hathaway into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. She's so good in Dark Knight Rises as, as Catwoman, I think, as Selina Kyle. So Zemo setting up that, well, he wants our heroes to know right. that he was behind it at this point. And that's where things get a little murky. Like, how does he know exactly how they'll react to this information? There's, it makes zero sense. Yeah, there's no way that he would know that Tony Stark would be able to go and yeah, and, and support. There's no way that he would know which which heroes were lock, locked in the prison and which one You were. know how much I hate Batman v Superman. But I honestly think the Jesse Eisenberg scenario made more sense than the Zemo scenario. You know, <laughs> so we don't even agree on that. The scenario is simpler, you know, make, make Batman fight Superman. No, but just the fact that Jesse Eisenberg, as a rich genius, would have access to more information. And who was just a, a, a killer, an assassin. 
I mean, ultimately... I also think Jesse Eisenberg was wanted chaos. Like, I think Brule wants a very specific scenario. Eisenberg wanted them to fight, but he was more open to how it would unfold, I think. I've only seen it once. I don't know. I mean, Zemo's plot was definitely more involved, and... Maybe we should do a BBS commentary. Oh, man, I don't want to watch it again. Uh, I'm not okay. really going to watch it. Okay. I, I really I don't want to watch it. I was only going to watch no. it to talk with you. I mean... Yeah, I'm never going to nah, see it. I would only see it again under that circumstance. I would watch a couple of scenes. There we go. This is but, great. Uh, right. You know. it's But it's because it was his buddy that got hurt, you know? If it was Scott Lang, he wouldn't be so upset. But that's just humanity, and that's cool. Steve's not going to stop, exactly. I mean, you just said, yeah, Tony probably would, wouldn't be as invested in a character he doesn't know or a person he doesn't know. But you got to know that Cap coming from a military background, yep. you know, once, once you're in the, same, in the same army together, you know, you're, yeah. that's, that's family. And you can see, you know, I'm sure uh, at the end, you, you, he, he's breaking everybody out. Yep. You know, it doesn't matter if Ant-Man just joined at the end. And right. That's, that's the beautiful thing about Cap. Like, he really is, you know, that idealistic kind of, it's like the best part of, of masculinity in some ways and you know he's so the fact that they would you know have no idea until now that that you know that the psychologist was the person who i mean that 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 bucky would be um uh innocent i, I understand why tony stark would think then he was guilty of course uh although we don't know yet oh that's uh what are the russos that guy i don't know if that's joe or anthony right there the guy, the guy that was on the on the thing, with the glasses and the mustache. That's either Joe Anthony or so. Um, yep, there he is, Helmet Zemo. Yeah, wants him to know. He's giving everyone the facts. Get him, get him there. Um, I'm cool with the prison scene coming up, just because there's some great character stuff and it looks amazing. And that is from the comics. There's a name for that floating prison. I can't remember what it's called. Uh, there's a specific name for it in the in the comics, but um, you know, it, it it's not completely necessary. Right, approximating the appearance of one James Buchanan Bond, son of a bitch. Um, I don't know. I mean, did it, did it hurt your appreciation of the final act of this movie that you knew really before sitting down to the movie how it was going to end? Right. I mean, we people like us who are nerdy enough to follow what's going on. There was no doubt in my mind that 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 Bucky killing the Starks was going to be you know to lead lead to the end. I guess I didn't know exactly how it was going to unfold. They allude to it in, in Winter Soldier, yep. when uh, Zola, Zola, yeah. Zola uh, his little stalling in the, in the the old military facility, you know that that Bucky was behind the many things and any many assassinations and specifically the Starks, uh, Howard Stark's death. Yeah. But you don't really you don't really connect that uh, Tony Stark's mother's involved too. And I hope her name isn't Martha. Like Martha Stark. <laughs> no. <laughs> is it Martha that, Kent that would be that would be uh, that would be too much. No, her name is uh, uh, Maria. Okay, almost, almost. almost. Mar Maria. Yeah, I, I thought for a second it said Martha. Played by Hope Davis. So you're saying that it, it if it was just Mr. Stark, it would be less way less tragic because he was involved in so much stuff, including yeah, the formation right. of Hydra by accident, potentially. Oh, yeah, definitely. You would have to assume that he's probably involved in some dirt as well. You know, I don't think 
anybody. I mean, World War II, even Cap would, would admit that they did things in the in the war. And in Winter Soldier, he, he says that, you know, we did things in, in World War II that weren't, didn't really, weren't meshed with our values and that he didn't want to make those same mistakes again. So, I mean, everyone from that era is, you know, have things that we, we value, but the, all their hands got dirty. When this thing first started coming out of the water, I'm like, there was a fourth helicarrier that we didn't know about from Winter Soldier, and they put it in the middle of the... Because it's like the same effect, you know, when the when the helicarriers start coming out of the water at the end of of, uh, of Winter Soldier. This is, this is way cooler, though. Right. We missed a part earlier, by the way, where, you know, when... Uh, when, when when Steve saves Bucky and gets away with them with Sam, and you know Tony's talking to General Ross and saying, "All right, we're gonna find them." And General Ross says, "No, you just signed the documents, basically that says you are not gonna find them. We're gonna find them, and we're gonna send special operations." And oh god, that's so sad. And, and Natasha goes, "What? You, are you gonna kill Steve Rogers?" And Ross says, "Like if he threatens us, or you know, like Tony almost immediately that when there's a crisis it, is." left powerless because he signed the fucking accords um is this like this was necessary in order for him to fully realize how much the, the accords were a mistake like this extended scene here i love the uh, this is so great with the red arrow it's like ah it's, what's he called wait hold on we call the futurist oh the futurist ah here comes the futurist do we miss that yeah. In that we haven't missed the Anthony Mackie line yet, though, right? Oh, the, the Mark Furman line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, criminals, so yeah. So why, why this scene? Well, I mean, these are again the development of the stakes behind that battle, and yeah, I mean, this is going to foreshadow quite a bit. I mean, it could mean uh, there there could be a Secret Avengers storyline, which is you know in the comic books there was. Yeah, there were secret Avengers where the Avengers had to go underground. That's for, yeah, that's happening, I think. Yeah. 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 It's been confirmed that, yeah, they're going to be some form of secret Avengers. But the question is... Well, <laughs> can't trust a Stark. Yeah, that's interesting. Was, there, was Stark with, um, with the younger Michael Douglas, CGI Michael Douglas... Peggy so. Carter was he in the room with them and that during that flashback scene where Michael Douglas looks thirty years younger and I have no idea how they did that. Oh, the good cop. Yeah, I'm gonna go go bad cop. <laughs> I have to go Mark Furman on my ass. Right, and the thing is, Tony's not lying here. He is saying I'm blocking the AV. I want to help Cap, and Falcon unwittingly, you know, continues this chain of event. I mean, that's that's the that's the hard to believe stuff. That Brule would know that like Falcon at this very moment would reveal it to Tony, you know. But maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Right, I was wrong. I made a mistake. That's a first. And also not be able to come and intervene in the fight. That you know it would right. where just Tony would have the the ability to come and intervene or to help, yeah. and not the whole you know a larger Avengers faction. I mean, I think Final Avengers movie will start with them as on, you know on the run, but that will have to be resolved fairly quickly because they have to reunite and then bring in Guardians and then fight Thanos. I, I really have no idea. They keep changing the name and the, and you know and the, they're saying it's two different Avengers movies now. Um, I don't think they really know. I mean, I'm sure they've started to film Avengers three, and I'm not sure they know what Avengers four is going to look like. Um, you think three is just going to have a uh, like a cliffhanger for for Avengers four? And by the way, Captain Marvel. 
um, uh, is, I believe, happening between the two Avengers movies. So she's definitely showing up in uh, Avengers 3, I think. Maybe earlier. I mean, I think there were rumors that she was supposed to appear earlier. Yeah. I think maybe in, in Civil War. Oh, they, they just cast then, her. They don't even have a director yet. What? Well, True facts, fact, fact, facts. Right. But I think they were, you know, in, early in development, yeah. early, early in development. Look, Look. Gabriel was giving me a hard time about this earlier. It's no secret to Bizzlecast listeners. I'm not thrilled with the the. Um, I want to say Alison Brie because she's another actress. Uh, that Brie Larson was not my first, second, or third choice for Captain Marvel. It's nothing to do with her. I just had other people in mind. That's fine. Um, but now that she's cast, I feel like we need more female superheroes in immediately. Like, we've got Black Widow, who we think is getting a movie. My concern with with Scarlet Witch is just that, you know, the movies that she's in keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger, so she's going to keep getting less and less screen time. Fine. Maybe they'll do something with her later. Um, but now that you have a, you know, a Superman-level female superhero in the Marvel Universe, I mean, Wonder Woman is going to beat them to the punch. And, uh, you know, I don't think it really matters. If Wonder Woman's good, then that's fine. If it's not good, then people will be more excited for Captain Marvel. Go ahead. Yeah, and you have to get props for her to do. Wonder Woman, the Wonder Woman trailer, is, is very, that's a very well-done trailer. Oh, it, it looks, it oh, looks yeah. pretty amazing. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, something to be excited for, for about on the DC end. Yeah. You know, it's not all, uh, not all grim. Having just seen Chris Pine in the amazing Hell or High Water, which is definitely going to get nominated, uh, some of the actors might get nominated to Modern Western, sort of in the No Country for Old Men style Chris Pine was in. I think at this point, Chris Pine has mostly chosen really good movies to be in, um, or at least solid ones. I don't think he would have done Wonder Woman if the script was horrible. Okay, back to here, though. This is such a tease. I so wanted to see Bucky with the gun and Cat with the shield, and we don't get to see shit. <laughs> there's that great image of them walking down the stairs together, and then that's that's the end of it. You know, there's it, it's funny for all the stuff they do give us in the movie. There's a lot of cock teasing, but you know that's part of it. Right here, this is an amazing shot. I just want him to open the open fire on Tony. The suit's looking a little shiny. Freshly buffed. Yeah. Oh, shiny. Kind of glossed over that scene in the elevator with, with Bucky and Cat, but just shows just how how fast they've re- reconnected. An excellent point that you made in a very funny way that I'm not going to be able to replicate in our Civil War review in case people haven't listened to Civil War review. Um, if, if you haven't, you should definitely check it out. It's Bizzlecast 40-something, I think. Um... Gabriel talks about, you know, there, there's that scene where they're reminiscing about, um, Coney, no, 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 uh, Far Rockaway, okay, and, you know, and some girl named Dolores or something, and, you know, and, and Cap puts his hand on, you know, on Bucky's shoulder for like a second, you know, and they look at each other, and, uh, you know, and, and Gabriel pointed out that these guys are from a much older time, relatively, you know, in pre-World War II, where being a man and how men can talk to each other and act around each other is way different, you know. I, I forget how you put it exactly, but you were like, you were like, that little... Th- yeah, that was, you know, the translation of what we would, what it would be now would be something like, oh, you know, I love you so yeah, much, I like, I miss you, you. like, yeah. you know, never... I never want to be apart from you again, but yeah. it would, you know, it would be like would. a big bear hug with back slaps and yeah, totally. Maybe crying. Maybe have been crying. I mean, you really don't yeah. see, you know, Bucky, Bucky and Cap cry in this. But of course, you know, men, men, 
you know, it wasn't manly to cry back then. It was much more accepted now. All right, so walk me through this scene. What, what, do you remember what you were thinking when you first saw this? That was the twist. Of course, you know, you're, you're anticipating, especially with the scene earlier where they showed the winter, the winter soldiers, you know, beating up uh, the, winter, the, the winter soldier that we know and, and taking over the, the, their captors and general just being, you know, ferocious badasses. We expect that. It will be a conventional turn for them to just have a brawl at the end between these five super soldiers and, you know, Iron Man there to help. And this was a little bit of a twist, and I, I didn't see it coming. So, how did Tony Stark find out about Zemo before Black Panther? I mean, they, they, they try and sell that. Black Panther is about to kill Zemo up until two seconds ago when he hears, when he overhears saying, you know, you killed, um, you know, you killed those people instead of Barnes or whatever. Um, you would think Black Panther would be monitoring, you know, every channel, you know, secret channel possible, and would have known that already. But I guess they wanted the reveal of him moving his head slightly to the side, of being like, "What? I was completely wrong." Oh man, um, it's nice for Black. It's nice for T'Challa though that that the guy he's really coming after is is also here. I guess that's the whole point. I think that would have been the a cooler move would have been to make T'Challa stop this whole thing. Stop Brule and stop them fighting. Instead, they make it just into a separate scene. Uh, that would have been a great handoff move to have Black Panther stop all, all four of these guys at once, either physically or, or through words. But that's part of uh, Black Panther's char- character in this movie, is that he really doesn't care that much about the conflict between Cap and, and it's that, that, that uh, Wakandan isolationism. I mean, he's there to get revenge for his father. Yeah. You know, he... He does. He achieves that. He, he he captures Zemo, and stops him from killing himself, so he can face justice in a way that he's developed that was the proper way. But the conflict inside, he's just like whatever. Like if they want to tear themselves apart, let them do it. And that's almost the Wakanda been the Wakandan philosophy for all these years. It's just like look, the outside world is crazy. Yeah. They're not ready for our technology, for our spirituality. Just let them handle it themselves. Yeah. And that's that's kind of the, how, how he approaches it. It'll be interesting to see, man, when he inevitably is in the final Avengers movies helping to fight Thanos. There's no way Black Panther is not helping to fight Thanos. Um, it'll be interesting to see if his attitude changes permanently because of that, or whether he's just doing it because he has to save the world, and then he immediately goes back to Wakanda, and, you know, and just doing his own thing again. Because, you know, in the comics, he's part of the uh, Illuminati, um, who are, like, the smartest and most powerful of the superheroes in the Marvel Universe, and they know secrets and have access to things that e- even a lot of superheroes don't have. Here's the same with the mom. Um... Are, are you aware of the Illuminati in the comics? It's like it's like Mr. Fantastic, Tony Stark, uh, Cap, um, Black Panther, um, uh, Beast. All, all the biggest smarty pants in the uh, yep. Marvel universe. You love you love this line. You killed my mom. Well, that's at the end when he says it. But oh, this is. Did you know? This is when he immediately uh, turns to yes. Cap, and he's this like, "Because you're right, because we know with Cap that this was probably true because of Zola, right? Yeah. Right, right. He knew it was, yeah, right. I didn't know it was him. And then Cap can't lie. He's... But 
Or is it, he was a ter- he's a terrible liar. This is, this is something sold completely through performance, but by Robert Downey Jr. in particular, but all three of these guys, that after everything Stark's been through and how horribly wrong he was about this whole situation, that, you know, he was already wrong about Bucky once. You know, he, the fact that he would immediately... I guess it's just the visceral nature of seeing his mom die, right? Yeah. Like, like, let me ask you this. If he had just been told it, you know, would he have, would he have had this exact reaction as opposed to seeing it viscerally? I guess that's why they had to have the video camera. If he was just told it, you know... Not just the video camera simulating the you know the old eighties mm-hmm. you know footage, but they do they do show it from an in film view you know close ups on his parents' faces as he's you know seen his dad get punched. So even you can imagine like that's what's working in Tony's mind you know even from viewing that footage. Oh, that's a good point, but he can't see what we see because that's too close up. I guess he saw no. something. No, yeah, he's not seeing that, but of course he's imagining it. I mean, he, right. you know this. Right. Well, he would definitely see um, Winter Soldier on the passenger side shooting someone with his mom. Oh wait, no. He he just strangled her. Oh, did he strangle yeah, her? He, oh, he yeah, shoots yeah. The, he shoots yeah. the camera out. But do you think uh, Hydra or the Soviets or whoever, um, like specifically told him to kill? them there so that they could videotape it to keep as like evidence against him or something because uh, it really makes no sense otherwise yeah that would be still hard to pull off you know and yeah kind of not really maybe there was a person with a video camera yeah. i never considered that maybe they had someone else there videotaping. well he was shooting oh, he no, shot, shot the camera yeah. but you know the, i think i think they would you know hydras would be a goal would be to keep it secret and you know clandestine, especially the Winter Soldier's character. His, oh, his role is to be secret. This. this is great. Well, I don't think we've ever seen Iron Man do this before. But, um... No escape. What is it with Disney? Um, what is it with Disney properties and chopping off arms? I mean, you know what? There was a. There was a little, I mean, it's kind of like some Easter eggs that they built, but because this is phase two, as a, as a tribute to Empire Strikes Back, right. they had a character lose their arm in almost every phase two movie. This is like how Luke got his arm chopped off, or his hand chopped off. What other phase two movies? Just to go back. You have Claw getting, uh, Ultron cut off oh, Claw's right. hand. Right. Didn't uh, Loki lose a hand in the, the Dark World at the end? I don't think so. I think he just fake died. Okay, uh, you have this. Bucky loses his arm. What else? Uh, no, I, I, yeah. I remember reading a story along those lines. I'm just having yeah. trouble. I'm also distracted by this great fight scene here. They sh- they shouldn't have showed all this in the trailer. This was a mistake. I would have been geeking out on this way more, but they showed almost this entire that entire scene there. And that was also been one of the only shots in the movie of like five to ten seconds without a camera uh, edit and then just going at it, which is especially hard with all the CGI. Um, Look at Sebastian Stan's face coming up. He's screaming. I love it. He's so good. God. That's why I think he could take over as Captain America. That would seem to be the logical replacement, especially since it's like that in the comic books. Oh, man, it looks so real. You know what? It even has the dynamics of... uh, of, uh, 
Oh, yeah, baby. Yeah. That's the, oh, that's the money shot. That is the money shot. Here we go. So Brule knows he's going to die, right? But does, how does he know that he's, he's going to die? He just figures whoever wins that fight is going to kill him? I don't know. He's about to kill himself. But. Oh, right, right, right. But you see how that, that little scene, like that money shot, the very comic book. T- oh, yeah. And how it just it fits seamlessly, even though it's like within the context of like this the dramatic scene where they're fighting, and you know, you know, Bucky just got his arm blew off, and just contrast that with that opening scene in Ultron where they all do the jump shot yeah. and all the oh, characters yeah. are lined up, and yeah. it's almost it's almost so ridiculous. You're like, oh, this is this is just yeah, it makes it comic. So no, I, I find it a little bit silly that like you're in a battle and you're all jumping up together. Like even characters that don't. It's a fucking comic book movie. Have you read a comic book exactly. movie before? Exactly. The X Men have shit like that all the time. Exactly. So it was comic book movie, and you're thinking, oh, well, that's a comic book moment. Look how ridiculous it is. That was clearly a comic book mo- a moment. Like these two yeah. characters that it would be perfect for the right. the image of a comic book cover, but integrated seamlessly with the tone and emotions of the scene. Yeah. So that's just I'm just saying. Yeah. Respect the Russos. Give them their respect. Look, look. look. The, the, the Cap movies are darker than the Avengers movies in tone. Like, that's kind of the whole point. Uh, no doubt. Even though, by the way, if you just watch the Cap and Iron, um, the Cap and Avengers movies, you really could get that entire extended storyline. I love Thor and Iron Man, but they're usually pretty peripheral. peripheral. They're, they're, um, own movies. We got the slow mo here. Oh, what I love about the hero shot that you just mentioned in Ultron Man is not the shot itself, but how they get them. In full speed to to you know within the course of their own movement to get there, you can see all the characters how they got there, and then the second it speeds up again, you know Cap's riding on the motorcycle, you know Thor's flying up on the tower. Oh man! And I think that's you know that's the obviously we haven't mentioned we haven't mentioned the obvious thing that the the only thing that this movie lacks compared to the Avengers is Thor and the Hulk, right? I mean that that's from from a from just a straight up entertainment standpoint, it's not Avengers 2.5 cuz you don't have two of the, you know, most important four Avengers. And those characters really, you know, the most iconic humor or and moments from the first uh Avengers movie. We just missed that whole exchange. Yeah, we Yeah. But yeah, yeah I mean the Thor Thor and Hulk do provide some of the most iconic mo- moments in the first two Avengers movie like the you know, I'm a god. You can't do this to me. And like, you know, punching Loki, yeah. and uh... just really quick that previous scene uh, with Black Panther and, and Zemo. You know, for people who say Black Panther didn't get enough screen time. Well, he has more character development than almost any other character in the movie, as as capped off by that. I, so I thought he got plenty to do in, in a Captain America movie where he was just being introduced, especially with the mid credit sequence, um, which we're going to stay on the mic until that happens because it's just um, I like fell out of my chair when I saw um, the, the Wakanda mid credit sequence. Right, this is another. Yeah, I could see why they showed this line in the trailer. You know, a little bit of Cap. I could do this all day. This this is from the first movie, right? Isn't this a callback to Cap 1? Right, I could do this all day. By the way, man. Oh, here we go. Oh, this is great. The body slam. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, baby. Man, look. It looks like, you know, Tony could could have just broke his neck right there. Just right on that uneven piece of rock. Yeah, the fact that Tony would think that Cap would, would kill him. And, all right, and now he's... Now Tony's a mere mortal. Has no chance of taking out this guy. Who has really no interest in fighting anymore, obviously. 
Um, I think the third Thor movie is going to be spectacular. I mean, oh, yeah. did, did you see Hunt for Wilder People? Yep. Yeah. I mean, Taika Waititi's a genius. I still haven't seen uh, Things We Do in the Dark. Me neither. Maybe we should, we should rent that or something. Um, you know, like if I, I think Iron Man 1 is going to go down as being the best Iron Man. I think Cap 2 is going to go down as being the best Cap. And I think Thor 3 is going to go down as being the best Thor, which would be amazing. <laughs> it would be amazing if in each of the three it would, phases. It wouldn't yeah. be that hard, though. It wouldn't be that hard, though. But I, I really like the first Thor movie. It's flawed, but I like it. Yeah. I can't I can't watch Dark World hardly. Who was uh, the director of the first Thor? Uh, uh, a young a man by the name of Kenneth Branagh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then the second one, they got the Game of Thrones guy, um, Alan uh, someone, I always forget his name. He, uh, the guy who did Dark World is the guy who did Terminator Genesis. Uh, and this is the, the lowest we've seen Tony yeah. in any, you know, any of the... Because he uh, really has nothing now. The suit looks amazing when he's actually in it. Do you think he's... Is that, is that full suit right there in real life? Boom. All fade to black. Here we go. You never see fade to black in movies, by the way. Anymore. Oh, yeah. Martin Freeman's great. As the, douche, the douchebag uh, prison warden. <laughs> Zap. Touch the glass. Zap. <laughs> Step out of the line. Please. <laughs> yeah, and we say... He, Martin Freeman's definitely going to be in other movies. There's no way that he comes in just to do this. Um, now, is he related to General Ross? Because his, his name is Everett Ross. Not sure. Yeah. Probably not. Clearly, Brule's going to escape. No mustache. If he, if he had the same like mustache. Yeah. It's possible Zemo could uh, end up in Wakanda, actually, in uh, Black Panther 1. Along but that, with Ulysses Claw. that line, you know, yeah. you know, all your plan, all that stuff, it didn't work, and he, and he said, says, "Really, didn't it? right?" Did it? Yeah, I mean, like that—that that was his plan. It, it wasn't—it wasn't grand in scope. He wasn't trying to take over the world. Yeah, he wasn't trying to. That's a good point. We always assumed the end goal for him was one, one or you know, all three of them dying, fighting each other. But it's possible that just the dissolution of the Avengers was was his goal, and also a little bit more gray. You know, from his view, yeah, he 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 did some pretty heinous things to achieve his goals, and he killed killed innocent people. But he viewed the Avengers as a threat, right? Uh, the same way that the people who came up with the, who drew up the Sokovia Accords view them as you know their their powers being overreaching. Them needed to be bring brought down a peg. So Zemo was really just trying to achieve those same ends, just through much more you know destructive and and uh, immoral means, and. And at the end of the day, I mean, he, well, he took he took out those five Winter Soldiers. They were just waiting to get activated one of these days. That was a, actually a good thing. Tony Stark's supposedly the smartest guy in the world, but uh, Zemo was playing him like a fiddle the entire time. He got him to go against Cap because of Bucky. Then he got him to, to think that he was going to help Cap once he found out the truth about Bucky. And then he went again against Cap and Bucky. I mean, the whole time... Tony's doing exactly what I think. That's the, I think that's the concept was that as long as he could manipulate Iron Man, you know that the Cap and Bucky thing would fall into place in terms of his evil plan. This is a great scene here. They, uh, as we talked about in the review, they give Cheetah a lot to do for the first time, like real three dimensional character work. <laughs> Here's Stanley, Tony Stank. <laughs> Tony Stank. Yeah, I, w- I wonder who came up with that line. That's brilliant. Yeah, thank you for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> Table for one, Mr. Snake. <laughs> he gets Tony to smile again. That's all they wanted. His buddy. 
It's the thing. I mean, Tony Stark's heart is always in the right place. One of the better uh, Stan Lee cameos, because he actually, That's, you know... Yeah. When he gets drunk in Ultron, is pretty funny, too. And they have to carry him away. Excelsior. But this is one of the... Where he's really interacting with the characters oh, more. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah, what yeah, I mean? And, yeah. and that's a hilarious line and brilliant delivery. Uh, Stan Lee, if, if you ever listen to him interviewed, he's been on the Nerdist podcast two or three times, is the way... He, he, he's so egotistical, but egomaniacal, but he's aware that he is, and so, you know... He's constantly saying things like, America should be thanking me for changing the face of film forever. You know, like, he's so, he's cocky, but he's doing it for comedic reasons. It's, it's quite funny. Yeah, and this end scene really, yeah, yeah it puts, puts cap stamp on it. And this, 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 this dialogue right here, this narration of the letter, yeah. you know, it, it, it over, it gives you Cap's ideals, his regrets. He's coming clean. He's honest with himself. He wants to, yeah, he's apologetic. He wants to do better. And just like really, really sums up a lot of what, just what made Cap's, Cap Cap and like why, why he's been embraced so much. You know, Chris Evans doesn't get to do nearly as much drama as, as uh, Robert Downey Jr. in this movie. I mean, oh, this is great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now he's turning his back on the General Ross. Hi, CC. I'm sorry to kick you out before my cat. Everyone knows that's a burner. It's funny. Is the wire what definitively made people know what a burner was? I feel like most people didn't know what a burner was before the wire. Now yeah, everyone and, uses uh, it. Boom, there it goes. That and the Obama administration with those, they give you free phones. They call it the little Obama <laughs> burner. Oh, really? Yeah, like if you're low income, then like you can sign up and get a free, a oh, free cell phone. Really? Yeah, yeah. Huh. That was great, man. Thank you so much. Um, you down to stay just to the mid-credits here? Because we got to talk about Wakanda. Yeah, I might run to the bathroom real quick. <laughs> no, 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 the mid-credits, mid-credits. It'll okay. be here in one sec. All right, all right. Yeah, yeah. Do you want me to pause? I can pause it. You know what? Mid-credits. I can, I can, I can yeah, pause that. Yeah, you can watch it. Okay. So, <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's a really good movie. I still I think Winter Soldier's better, but it's not... It's not anything to, at, at fault with this film that Winter Soldier is better. I just think Winter Soldier is a transcendent film. I don't know what, how you would compare the two. And uh, not enough cap in this movie. Yeah, you know, just for those little the little little plot holes, you know, just in the story, Zemo's character. Yeah, I would still give Winter Soldier the edge, and just the action. I think some of the hand to hand in Winter Soldier, I give it a slight edge. Just the action in a different way. Of course, you know the airport scene is amazing, but you do come out with a, a, a few questions leaving this. You're just like, oh, that could have been maybe a little bit better. That was maybe the, that was a little bit unclear. Where Winter Soldier is near perfect. It's almost flawless. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. That's flawless. Uh, I, I usually refer to Winter Soldier as minimalist perfection. You know it. It was attempting to do slightly less, and so it had less to accomplish, and it accomplished it 100%. You know, this was something you do a lot more, accomplished 95% of it, which is great. I give it this probably an A minus. Here we go. I knew almost immediately, I had not known this ahead of time, man, but when I saw a couple of black doctors walking around in like the super futuristic society, I mean, you must have immediately been like, this is Wakanda. Or, or, did, you, did you know? At, like, Initially here, no. You didn't know here? Not yeah. Yet. I wouldn't think immediately, like, oh, they're in Wakanda. It's cool that he gives himself over. It's, 
uh, as I said in the very beginning, this is a very convenient way for him to to help T'Challa in maybe the final battle of uh, Black Panther, I think we could see. And that's the freezing effect. Oh man, here we go. I was like on the fence at this point. My first feeling of whether I was ha- satisfied with how much Black Panther there was, but I see him wearing these clothes and this level of technology, the level of peace that he's gained. Right, we were—they uh, were both victims. If I can help one of them, yep. He's doing this as a personal favor to Rogers. Oh, I—I literally have chills right now, man. You talk, I got chills. And I'm even, you know, game recognized game like. Let them try, Piatch. Yeah. You can't even even going against someone like Cap and fighting, and yeah. you, you know, and even the history of the comic, where they, they, there's this mutual respect that develops between warriors, between oh, yeah. soldiers, and well, I think it's also their, and leaders, you know. But it's also their morality and their ethics. Yeah, that they respect, yeah. That, that they share, um, you know, principles with one another. So, Gabriel, this was amazing, man. You let you go to the bathroom. You want to just say peace out to the Bizzlecast listeners? Yeah, uh, yeah. Good to be a part of it. I'm going to try to listen to this back and not be appalled by the sound of my own voice. Oh, no, Still getting used to it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. I love this movie. So, yeah, it was nothing to to watch it again. This is, like, fifth time. And, uh, yeah, every time is... I didn't think it would be this rewatchable, but, yeah, it is. It is. So, I mean, props to these filmmakers, Russo brothers, you know, out of nowhere, just bringing just amazing entertainment and... Yeah, just looking forward to the next Marvel movie. Absolutely. We got Doctor Strange in November. Thanks to Gabriel for being on, and the Bizzlecast is out.